London has actually grown into being a good like jag spot. It was Bills fans everywhere. Like the noise and the atmosphere in the stadium was crazy. That said, that did get a little bit quieter maybe in the third quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, we're just coming back off a fun weekend in London where we got to watch some sports, and one of us got to sit home in Cork and nurse a flu. So, hey, how are we getting on? It's Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks in uh, Waterford, Sean? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I, I got the COVID. Uh, four days before the London NFL game, which is, after three and a half years, COVID-free is, is just excellent timing. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of the actual sickness, it was it was like a bad cold for like two days and then it was kind of done. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't want to, didn't want to risk spreading it to the lads only to find out later that half the trip ended up getting COVID anyway. Um, so that was nice. But uh, yeah, I watched the, I watched the Jags-Bills game as I was, saying to the guys before the start of recording on the ITV feed, which if anyone watched the ITV feed will agree, it is the worst abomination <laughs> to NFL in history. It's actually worse than the BBC Super Bowls, which were pretty dire in their own way. Uh, just just completely tone deaf in terms of putting British people in positions where they just ha- should have Americans like in the commentary and stuff. It was... Yeah, you're, you're telling was, me Craig Doyle didn't knock it out of the park, like <laughs> Craig Doyle at least had the the good grace to pretend he didn't know what he, to pretend he knew nothing about the sport, and therefore was asking like basic questions and letting the American guests mm. do all the talking. But the main commentator guy, Darren Fletcher, who is like the worst of all the soccer soccer commentators, he was just yeah, he was just not good at all. <laughs> um, so I do not recommend it. Even though they carried it on the Virgin Media, one of the Virgin Media channels, so it was probably the I think it might be, well, I don't know if they've had this contract for a few years, but certainly I've never seen a live NFL game on Irish terrestrial television before. But if this is what we're getting, it's just not worth it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think I think, that, I think it was part of the agreement when they extended the number of games in London that they, because they used to put them all on the BBC, and then I think they came to some kind of, like similar with the rugby where they had to spread out the games across the stations or something. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure if it's a, like every year it rotates or they one one gets two games, one gets one game or whatever. But yeah, it's um the the, the product could do with a little bit of of, of polishing, we'd say. <laughs> How about yourself, Fitz? You uh you all recovered down there in Cork? Uh, mostly I would say I, like uh, <laughs> you can definitely see feel the effects of it. But uh, yeah, obviously the the half contingent uh, reference was the weak effect Dublin uh, path, not the strong border boy. Uh, you know we've <laughs> oh yeah yeah us, us border boys can't be taken down by exposed to a lot more food. pathogens you know than the than the city folk I think over yeah uh, in our youth but uh, yeah no it was a great weekend uh, a lot of good times uh, the rugby went really well that was great to see the game was great. Did a bit of dancing after the the rugby as well. Got to yeah. talk to some random lad in Irish in the Irish pub. So, Kevin man. Uh, so yeah, Grant. Pretty happy now. Just uh, back to the grind, I suppose. I'm off today, but uh, back to work for the rest of the week. Yeah, I was back in today, so it was a uh, it was it was a long one. I had a couple of meetings in at the tail end of the day, and I was like, kind of going. Ah, in future, I'll, I'll I'll book an extra day off as well. The older you get, the longer it takes, I think, uh, to get the legs back underneath you. But I suppose we'll fly in and have a look around the news. 
because we've got a fair bit to actually get through. So uh, we had an extension happen uh, on the Friday when we were over there, as I believe two or three of us were simultaneously trying to trade Jonathan Taylor away from uh, Kean, who was on the trip. Uh, Jonathan Taylor signed a three-year, $42 million extension in Indianapolis. This makes him the third highest paid running back, I think, in the league at the moment. Um, good to see a job get done here. Uh, I'm kind of surprised at how quickly they just got it done, particularly given the animosity that had been there or appeared to be there between... Uh, ownership and uh and taylor but uh they've locked him in as a starter i think we were discussing this on the weekend i think uh it probably helps that the colts are looking a bit spicier albeit as we'll come to in a minute they do have an injury to their starting quarterback but uh yeah definitely i think richardson hitting the ground running has maybe meant that uh the colts had to be more amenable to getting everything up and running around him quicker yeah, like, look, objectively, this probably was, like, amazing business. They they probably are overpaying compared to what, like, if John Taylor made free agency, he would probably make less than this, in my opinion, probably, because he's just behind, as you say, Alvin Kamara, and then uh, CMC is the highest bid running back. That's probably fair enough, given what CMC does. So, look, Taylor's came off a major injury. Um, obviously, having basically held out for the entire offseason, they're probably not going to get him straight in there. But I suppose, given that they have a rookie quarterback... And they don't have that many expensive uh, people on their roster. I suppose just locking them up and getting the situation to go away makes a certain amount of sense. But I don't think it's going to be seen as some great type of business. I think for Taylor, like this is pretty much as good as it gets, as I said. So yeah. I think coming off an injury and getting 42 million as a running back is not something you're going to see very often, I feel like, in the NFL these days. So, you know, it makes the issue go away. They can focus on winning and, and doing well this year. And yeah, obviously uh, with Richardson out, it's not quite the dynamic one-two punch you're hoping for, but he will obviously still be a good uh, compliment to um, uh, the Garden Minshew uh, if he can win his job back from uh, Zach Masters. Yeah, we'll yeah, I I would agree on the the Taylor, the the quality of the team or the team doing well or relatively well is what it's what spurred. I think both sides, both the Colts need their star running back now that they realize they're competitive, and Taylor probably himself realized he doesn't want to lose his place as like. A major piece in a successful team because it's much harder to it's much harder to get into a successful team than an unsuccessful team and it's much harder for him to show his value if the team team was really crappy be like well you really need me so pay me a lot of money but the better the team does the less the the, the less desperate they offer him so i think it was just the right moment for everyone to make that move um and yeah as an old as a running back is probably a bit overpaid but running backs are generally underpaid anyway so probably mm-hmm. this is some sort of karmic justice yeah like the running back union will be happy enough with this i'd say yeah, uh, we had a couple of kind of lower wattage uh, movements around the league as well. So the, it seems to be the time of year where like players who aren't working out in systems get swapped for pick swaps, which is pretty much what we've got a lot of. So San Francisco have given their 2024 sixth round pick for Randy Gregory and the seventh round pick back from Denver uh, to kind of bolster up a little bit more rotational pass rushers for them. Miami have picked up Chase Claypool for... <laughs> Uh, and a sixth round pick for the for uh, and a seventh round pick for their sixth round pick in 2025. So essentially, like a dollar. Uh, and New England, in very traditional New England fashion, have sent out a player to get paid handsomely elsewhere, have them not work out, and then return to them for pennies. So they are trading a sixth for defensive back J.C. Jackson from the Chargers alongside their seventh round pick. And I believe in that one, in anyway, the Chargers are reading the majority of the. Uh, of the salary so um decent business for them all um as you can imagine with with the trade uh, values going the other direction these are not exactly like 
uh, huge impact players coming on. Like Gregory's not really fit into the Denver system, so it makes sense, I suppose, bolster up a strength in San Francisco. Miami definitely don't need another wide receiver, and given how Claypool's played the last two or three years, probably definitely don't need him, but it's costing them essentially nothing. And New England do have a need at cornerback, and JC Jackson has worked well in that system previously, but he has really underperformed to the contract he got when he joined the Chargers. So these are all guys kind of looking for kind of a redemption shot and are moving to teams that are probably better suited to use them as rotational players than kind of the roles that they were in in their previous spots. Yeah, they're all cautionary tales in their own way. Obviously, Randy Gregory, a big free agent signing by Denver a couple of seasons ago. JC Sat Jackson, similarly, from the Chargers, and now they're being traded for pennies in the dollar, effectively. And I think, you know, San Francisco, they always have a very deep room on the defensive line. So if Gregory is to turn his career around, they probably cannot find a better situation than San Francisco to kind of lean back in, get through there. He's always been a player who seems to be highly rated. Like, obviously, you know, he was highly touted in free agency, but never really performed, to my opinion, uh, on the field. But, uh, you know, he'll, he'll have a chance there at San Francisco. And then JC Jackson, obviously, he's had a lot of injuries with the Chargers. But, uh, yeah, in the first couple of weeks, he's getting absolutely blown up. So... Return to New England, see if that scheme can, can get him there. And obviously New England are dealing with just every injury possible in their backfield. Um, so they need the uh, reinforcements. And then Claypool, obviously, they traded for the 32nd overall pick. Technically a second rounder because Miami didn't have a first rounder. Yeah. Last year by Chicago and now they're already trading him for a 6-7, yeah, like 2025 like, like swap. It was, it was end October, right? So they got, they've got they've yeah. gotten two and a half months of play out of him. And are already like, fuck it, it's, it's worth a, like, a, a yeah. late round pick swap in two but, years' time. Yeah, but it was a locker room cancer situation, and they were basically going to cut him anyway because uh, he had been suspended by the team, or he wasn't. He was being training. kept kept out so he didn't injure himself, yeah. kind of thing. Essentially, so yeah. you know, you know, you get rid of him. Yeah, I suppose from one direction it's like cautionary tale, and the other direction is like at least in the NFL, I suppose you know, cut your losses, move on, and you know, move with what you have, get a young player in there, see if they can take an opportunity instead, which is probably in the long term the the smart thing to do. I think sticking with these guys, despite the fact you give them a bunch of money, is usually more often than not that the wrong, it's the wrong move not really sure why the Dolphins might think they need Claypool I, I mean unless it's some sort of depth thing just in case someone gets injured but yeah I'd, I'd I just, imagine I don't understand they have had some injury bits but like yeah it's just it, it, it like I don't know I don't know like because presumably he's kicking someone off the roster that's like a, a backup special teams player or something like I don't I don't even know where he fits on the roster like and then well, I, I, like, didn't Mike McDonald say he, they didn't really need him for yeah to be a receiver he literally anyway, said so. we don't really need him but yeah why not like, <laughs> well he's still on his rookie contract uh, so he's basically getting paid very very little because he was a second rounder and you know he has shown flashes of being a productive player in early on in Pittsburgh so you know for basically nothing why not give it a risk and obviously in that offense if somehow an injury crisis led to him being someone they want to play you never mm. know what could come out of it yeah yeah um yeah sure we'll see uh we've had quite a number of injuries this week so we'll start with kind of like the big season ending type ones um buffalo we were watching in person there was a period where we genuinely just said like look does someone want to stick their hand up and go in at linebacker because they seem to be dropping like flies here uh they've lost matt milano to a broken leg so he's probably gone for the season and defensive lineman daquan jones has torn his pectoral muscle and he's likely gone for the season as well um, so very, very big hits to a Buffalo defense that was looking strong in recent weeks and was hoped to be kind of a strength of the team for this season. And yeah, that the, the, these are two big losses for them. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, and when you compound it to the, the loss of Tredavious White as well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a real losses. And just as they got Von Miller back, so it's just like they, they don't seem to be able to, to field a healthy defense at all. And Milano, it, 
arguably the best player on the defensive side for the Bills, or certainly top three. Mm. If he's gone for the season, it's yeah, it's 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 a tough one. And given the Bills lean so heavily on their defense because of how inconsistent their offense is, I. I mean, it's definitely it, it. lowers my estimation. Not having Milano there lowers my estimation of how likely they are to to win the Super Bowl or, or be competitive at the top end. I mean, it's that big uh, an issue. And right? come on, get get getting that height. They lose those two players. They struggle to stay competitive with the Jaguars. <laughs> it's true. It's and, true. And and an interesting thing about the Buffalo like defense was that it tended to be a good, a strong spine team. Like the safeties were good, the linebackers were good, the um, the line was good. And Daquan Jones has actually been a really good pickup the last couple of years in terms of shoring up a defensive line that the interior that had been a little bit weak outside Ed Oliver. So I think, but Matt Milano, that's a huge loss. Like I think that, like you, I think you can see in the performance of the defense with and without him over the last few years that it it will definitely be a big effect. Now, obviously, they have enough firepower on the offense in theory and in the defense with, with other players that it shouldn't collapse. But obviously, this is a team that has higher expectations than just making yeah. the playoffs. They want to be in the the Super Bowl hunt pulls 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 down the pulls down the ceiling a bit. Uh, like the the outside hope is that potentially Milano could come back for a playoff run if he heals up quickly and stuff. But it depends. Uh, it, it's it's it, it's a big knock for them anyway. Um, other season enders we have New York Jets offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker has done his Achilles. He's gone for the season. Detroit running our defensive back Manuel Mosley has done his ACL and he's gone for the season. And Houston have lost Kendrick Green, their offensive lineman, uh, to a meniscus injury. So he's probably gone for the season. So that's just stacking more uh, line issues for them. They also have Tank Gell in concussion protocol, so he's week to week, but not a not a season ender there. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm right. I'm right in thinking Mosley has torn his ACL in two consecutive seasons now, or something. Yeah, like. he, this so, was yeah. literally his comeback game, and he tore his ACL <laughs> straight away. Yeah, that oh, that career gone. is basically over. I mean, there's no way someone comes back from back to back ACLs like surely. Certainly not as 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 good as he used to be, kind of thing. It's no, definitely no. something that will limit them as a player. And look, mm, maybe the, he the, had that the, stem cell treatment that uh, <laughs> works yeah. often. The Jets obviously are going to suffer a bit here with Vera Tucker going down. He's played quite well for them, and uh, we saw it this week. I think it's in the dump off, but uh, we saw that like they really started to get things going on the ground this week, and you hope that this doesn't slow that down. But um, yeah, just yeah, even that, with, that's with, a, hu- it's a huge loss, but. I suppose the Jets aren't really well. Like I suppose they look like they might be turning around a bit, but they're still alive, baby. They're still alive. We love you, Richard. They're still alive. <laughs> but uh, no, he's a huge loss. I think they've been moving around the line over the last few years, and I think they put him in right tackle now, and he was doing a mm. solid job there. So he's been pretty good since he come in there. They obviously drafted him quite highly a couple of years ago. And Kendrick Green, he, I think Houston literally traded for Kendrick Green because they had so many offensive. Yeah, it was like the week before the gone. season, wasn't it, or something? Now. Yeah, but thankfully they are actually getting a couple of, they've got a couple of their guys back and they're expecting to get one or two more back in the next uh, couple of weeks as well. So, yeah, he, he did his job, I suppose, but, uh, you know, tearing your meniscus is probably not the best way to go out. No, uh, kind of other injuries that are not kind of season enders. Indianapolis quarterback Anthony Richardson uh, has got an AC sprain, so he's going to be out for kind of four to eight weeks. Uh, they've also got tight end Moali Cox, who is a concussion, so it's now going to be week to week. Uh, so that's kind of a big hit to them. They're going to hope that Minshew can come in and, and, and tie them over for four to eight weeks. As I said, Jonathan Taylor's back, so that's positive, uh, but it means that it will be quite a different looking um, offense for the next couple of weeks anyway there. Uh, the other, I suppose, big superstar name would probably be uh, Justin Jefferson, Minnesota wide receiver, uh, has injured his hamstring. He's been sent to IR, which is a minimum of four weeks. Um, these types of injuries can go a little bit longer, and there is a little bit of a question hanging around the Minnesota Vikings that 
if in five, six weeks' time when he's considering coming back, given he hasn't got the contract he wants out of them yet and that their season is not going in the right direction, would he want to come back at that point? Would he want to try and leverage this into a longer break to try and force the um, contract stuff through as well? So we'll, we'll see. But that's a, that's a huge loss to an offense that's just not really been able to, to do much this year. They're, what, one and four now, I think? Yeah, I think yeah like look, right Minnesota are, are on the precipice of a rebuild. They basically did a kind of pseudo-rebuild during the offseason anyway. So we kind of thought like, okay, bring the band together for the things that did work last year, most of the offense, the defense. Let's see if Brian Flores can squeeze something out of a very talent-poor group. And right now, obviously, they've been competitive in, in most of their games, uh, as they tend to be. But obviously, the uh, the coin flips here we're winning last year, they, they haven't been going their way, and they're obviously in a lot of trouble right now. Uh, I suppose the only thing is that because they're in the NFC there's more of a route to, to kind of doing like a low-end playoff push uh, than in the AFC. But uh, yeah, not not looking great for them. And obviously without Justin Jefferson, that puts a lot more pressure on guys like the rookie Jordan Addison, um, TJ Hawkinson, the tight end, KJ Osborne, who's been kind of a wide receiver tree for them for multiple years now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much of a dip you see in Kirk Cousins' uh, performance um, would, with Justin Jefferson on I would be line. intrigued to see if these are guys who start trying to move assets as they come towards the trade deadline because they were already partially in a rebuild. They don't have uh, the QB under contract next year. They still have to pay Justin Jefferson. They might start selling some assets and try and get all that stuff lined up and just put uh, like on That the could season. definitely happen, but the only asset that has any real worth, I would say... Um, they do have Griff, Everson Griffin on defense, but I think they, they did a contract to him, so it's unlikely to trade him. But obviously the asset that would be of note to anyone who is desperate to go all in this year would be Kirk Cousins, of course, which we've speculated about in the past. But uh, I don't think we're quite at that level no, yet. No, we're, we're not that, quite that, at that, that point, I don't think. We have, uh, there's only, we're only three weeks out, I think, from the end, end of, uh, yeah. of the trade deadline, so we'll see. As it, for Indianapolis... If they, if, they lose, if they lose two more games, I think that's roughly where they might be looking at, though. Yeah. As for Indianapolis, you definitely don't want to see a young player like Anthony Richardson uh, go down for this type of thing. He's obviously picked up an injury in, I think, three out of the five games or four of the five games that he was playing. And so it's kind of felt inevitable, which is not what you want to be uh, doing. Um, so but I give it an opportunity. It's, it's also multiple injuries. Like, it's not just, oh, he's, yeah, hurt different types this, injuries, he's, he's not just, he's hurt the same calf twice. Like, these are different injuries, which is not great. Yeah, and he's such a dynamic player, it's a shame, because obviously, you know, you don't want him to stop running or doing exciting stuff, but, you know, maybe he just needs to take better care of him, look with someone like Lamar, maybe, to for, for guidance there. But, uh, yeah, obviously, that means they're going to have Gardner Minshew in there instead, who's probably one of the better backups in the league, someone who can win you a few games, uh, potentially, yeah. uh, especially with the way the defense and offense is, is going without him. Uh, but definitely a step down in terms of, like, the amount of fun that you can have. Well, in terms of memes, it's fine, but then in terms of, like, uh, dynamics of an upside in the future, it's not as big a deal. Um, but Indianapolis, like, I think they're, they're in control of the AFC South right now, so um, they definitely will continue to compete, and obviously just, uh, you know, uh, they bring in Jonathan Taylor, hopefully he, he makes more of an impact going forward. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you, you don't want this to happen to your rookie quarterback, especially one who's been so good uh, when he has played. Not at all. Uh, and I, I would be worried. I mean, the Colts, uh, We made. I made a joke a few weeks ago <laughs> that like the Colts are the best reputation for protecting young quarterbacks. I mean, this is like the second injury he's had already and it's five weeks into his... Like, his playing style is one that lends itself, is going to lend itself to injuries. So unless they... I just start teaching him to to not run head first into tackles and all the other things that have happened or they learn how to protect him better or something because yeah. he's too talented to... To, for the Colts to waste, you know, it, it, another talented quarterback, the Colts do, cannot afford to, to waste his talent by not protecting him or teaching him how to protect himself in some way. That's the thing. Is I think I think it's interesting that like 
some of this might be coming out of like the so the knock on him coming out was that he wasn't particularly experienced at playing the quarterback position and partially some of that might be that he just isn't used to having to protect himself fully because he you know he's he had what 14 starts before he got into the nfl or whatever so like this is stuff that he's gonna have to learn and learn quick because you can't be having this happen like you could be the best quarterback in the world but if you're going to miss like every second game they won't be able to to to, to base yeah. a franchise on and he's a big, he's a big dude. So I yeah. imagine at the college level, you know, you're you're probably got a big advantage over the defenders, whereas it's a bit more even at, at this yeah. level. Yeah, <laughs> a, a good bit more. Uh, Chicago have no running backs. Uh, Khalil Herbert has <laughs> done his ankle. He's out for two to six weeks. Roshan Johnson has a concussion. He's going to be week to week. So load up Dante Foreman time there. Uh, Dallas linebacker Van Der Esch has injured his neck. He's out for three to six weeks. Cavante Turpin, their wide receiver and kick returner, has injured his knees. Out for two to six weeks. And C.J. Goodwin uh, from special teams is injured is pectoral uh miami kind of upstart superstar devon etchain uh is injured his knee and he's going to be out for three to six weeks uh this does miraculously tie in okay with their with their timing because they were planning to open up uh the jeff wilson uh practicing period so he's there was slated to be their starting running back coming into the season but started off with an injury designation so they will just be adding another body into it but hopefully because he, he's exciting to watch the one day chain back and back healthy arizona running back james connor's injured his knee and he's week to week uh they've picked up tony jones from new orleans practice squad to help round that out daniel jones the new york giants quarterback has injured his neck and he's week to week fun factory sean when you were mentioning them uh, not protecting andrew luck uh this week daniel jones uh overtook andrew luck for the number of sacks he's taken in 27 less games uh the oh, giants offensive oh line is not very good uh he hopes to play in week six but we'll see the wide receiver wandale robinson has a concussion he's week to week uh kansas city tight end travis kelsey injured his ankle in a non-contact uh play during the match but he played through the tail end of it so they're saying they're going to observe it it's week to week but they'd hope to have him there and uh, also zay jones wide receiver for the jacksonville jaguars has injured his knee and he's week to week so there's quite a lot in there isn't there a lot i suppose it's getting to that point week five where we start to see like running back injuries crop up more because they've now had five weeks of taking a beating yeah like look like obviously you never want to lose uh, dynamic running backs like for chicago khalil herbert seemed to be actually finally being used uh, adequately in the last couple of weeks and the offense in general was turning around just the fields so to you know have that kind of disrupted again you'd be worried Rashawn johnson given it's a long week because they're playing on tnf he might be back in time for uh, the game this sunday otherwise you say it's dante foreman or karen glass game or other guys uh, kind of brought in from the from the neck any neck of the woods uh, dallas Van Der Esch, obviously not the, the force he was early in his career, but certainly he'd been a valuable contributor since coming back there. And Cavante Turpin is a great special teams player, along with a good one, so you'll definitely feel that there. Uh, a- A-chan, obviously hugely <laughs> successful. All, all his fantasy owners are have been very happy the last couple of weeks as he's just blown out the NFL. But now, uh, unfortunately, he's been missing a few weeks, but obviously their main priority is to make sure he's around at the business end of the season because uh, it's pretty, it would be a surprising if Miami weren't there at the end of their career. Connor, I think the latest update I just saw is that uh, it's not good. It's probably multiple weeks for him. Uh, so they signed Tony Jones. Uh, they have some other people <laughs> on their thing um, that, that they'll try and, and work in there. But uh, he's kind of been a central point of their offense. So that, that definitely is a step back. We'll see if there's any regression there for Arizona who we know overperforming so far. Uh, Danny, Daniel Jones and Giants, it doesn't really fucking matter because they, they could all be healthy and they'd still be getting absolutely hammered. But uh, they also have a bunch of OL injuries, which I haven't seen any major update on. But uh, yeah, they're all offensive line will either be missing people or um, 
be knocked up uh, in, in, the, in the next week and going forward as well. And then Kelsey, yeah, at the mo- at the time it happened, non-contact, you're worried this is a major injury, but turns out it's a lower ankle sprain, so he played through it on the game, uh, caught the uh, game-winning touchdown, so you'd expect he'll continue to play through it, but what probably will not be the dynamic element that you expect maybe, you know, kind of more closer to 50 uh, yards per game. I will, uh, I will say this. Key in red zone, but not the weapon he has been in previous years. The the, the side element that might help now is uh, him going down on a uh, turf field did activate the Swifties on Twitter uh, (laughs) to start pushing for actual playing grass uh, pitches so uh, they are they, they are legion and uh, if anyone's going to be able to get that done it's not going to be the running back Skype call people it's going to be the Swifties well you'd hope so but uh, you know uh, uh, that, that might be part of the NFL's demands for the Taylor Swift uh, halftime show yeah, yeah oh no 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 because uh, for, for the halftime show she'll want to to be performing on artificial turf for uh, for, for, for musical purposes uh, obviously it gives you a uh, better acoustics but uh then she just want to have that rolled out on top of a, a grass pitch i'm sure uh we also have hall of fame chicago linebacker dick butkus has died at the age of 80 so he's kind of very famous linebacker uh, i think most people who've, who've watched the sport have probably seen highlight reels of his stuff but uh yeah, he had nine years with chicago he had five all pros 49 turnovers um so he was acting afterwards he did meter roles within the nfl quite well liked i think he, he was a well-known figure and in, in, he, he was an actor and did media roles but as far as i know he's just mm. an asshole on the field yeah <laughs> in, like... the, in the way that you want to be and like obviously chicago has continued to kind of try to build on having that kind of central classic middle linebacker does that but like the it, you know this is a kind of player from a different era you know like the kind of hard hitting nfl like shake you to your bones type nfl is when head really think it was encouraged the, yeah it's not the really the sole thing anymore like it was still being sold as the nfl's uh you know usp even into like the mid uh, late 2000s but uh, these days obviously with all of the uh concussion stuff probably not a thing but like yeah for what he did in the back of the day he was a key part of the kind of growing popularity of the NFL when it transitioned from being, you know, one of the sports to becoming the, uh, you know, the quintessential American sport uh, over the last uh, 30 years or so. So uh, obviously uh, had a good long life and had many good adventures all both on and off the field. And uh, yeah, even though he didn't have that long a career, only nine seasons, he made such an impact that he was, uh, he's already always in the like the top, like, you know, all time players in the NFL uh, mm. and kind of quintessentially associated with the sport forever. Yeah. Um, very good. And just on that note, we will go and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, I suppose we better start with the London game that uh, two of us were in person for. 25-20, to 20, Jacksonville over Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo really did not appear to be coming off the plane ready to play, uh, slash possibly the Jacksonville staying over in advance and prepping for the week really helped them. But uh, this was a game that Jacksonville were soundly in control of for the most part of uh there was some mistakes towards the tail end which allowed buffalo to get a little bit closer with some fumbles flags and drop passes and all that but uh yeah it was uh it was somewhat underwhelming from the buffalo side of things now that said the numbers are still looking good particularly because some of it was pumped up in the fourth quarter allen went for 373 yards three touchdowns and an interception as i said not really getting going to the fourth quarter um but yeah they were just kind of being shut down the running game didn't get going in the way we've seen in recent games and uh like we mentioned in the in the news section there was a couple of injuries so we've got the two we mentioned there there was a number of other injuries to players on the pitch that meant they were kind of rotating in more guys who were maybe second stringers and stuff and that that didn't help them either lawrence did a fairly decent job 315 yards a touchdown but he did have two fumbles um 
it was kind of Ridley and Eddie and kind of keeping them going at the tail end. And like I said, it was the the, the, the Bills' defense felt a little bit undermanned and underprepared, particularly uh, in the first half or so of this game. So uh, it's a it's a scoreline that somewhat flatters Buffalo. Uh, because I don't think it was really, it never really felt that much like a one-score game, um, but it was exciting. There was big plays on both sides. Uh, for Jacksonville, a great scalp to take, and I think they will definitely be leaning into the we'll do back-to-back games in future thing as well, because uh, they definitely seemed prepared and ready to go, whereas Buffalo, I don't know, I think there's always potential that they were maybe looking past this game a little bit or whatever. Uh, one thing that was quite impressive, though, and we were commentating at the time, was... Uh, Buffalo, man, they can travel that entire stadium, even though it's like, you know, London has actually grown into being a good, like, jag spot. It was Bills fans everywhere. Like, the noise and the atmosphere in the stadium was crazy. That said, that did get a little bit quieter maybe in the third quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely felt like the air was slowly, like, leaving the... uh the balloon as the game went on because they came in hot uh, but by half time or even it was like felt like okay uh, this is not quite going as we wanted <laughs> and there were reports like Stefan Diggs was uh, joking with Josh Allen that oh he's sleepyhead because I think they flew in only two days before yeah, yeah this I game think it was the Friday so, or something yeah you, you de- like there's definitely you know some of that as a consideration because obviously it's a team Buffalo that just beat up the, the Miami Dolphins in very comprehensive fashion and then they come in here and obviously they're dealing with injuries on the defence uh, I think the you know and you're kind of okay maybe that takes a little bit of the air out in terms of the defence kind of being a, a major factor or as much of a factor as it should be but you know you still wouldn't expect it to be this much because really like Jacksonville should have won this game by more uh, both of Lawrence's fumbles came within scoring range uh, field goal range and so they could have been up a lot more than they were uh, at the end and they were 25 to 13 up near the end so that you know they were already doing quite well and like Lawrence you know he was pretty he was good like you know there's he's kind of he's, he's very frustrating to a certain extent still because you know you have those fumbles you have those plays where I don't know he doesn't quite look what he's doing but then you see the plays where he throws it into like a, a incredibly small window and it's on a rope and you're like like I get why this guy was drafted number one overall I get why mm. this guy has the potential to be in the the Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes level but it doesn't feel like it's like there 100% um but I did say last week I think they should feed Ridley you know he's your wide receiver one uh similar how Buffalo got Stefan Diggs you know get him in there and in this game um it started off weird it was kind of a few sweet plays and stuff like that but eventually um they definitely got Ridley more and more involved and he slowly started to take over this game alongside Christian Kirk and then when the chips were down and they were like quote-unquote playing conservative uh, Etienne had a couple of big plays which were really key in terms of getting a couple of extra touchdowns that made this game uh, much more secure but Jacksonville they dominated time possession I think they were nearly two to one uh, for most of this game uh, and they were you know you know, a little inefficient I think the big thing for them probably is that outside of like when they went soft coverage at the end and allowed Buffalo to go up the field um, and waste time um, the defense showed up the defense was very solid I think they did a good job it wasn't perfect of course because you know Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis were all over 100 but they basically shut down the run game which I think is definitely a strength of this defense and um, they definitely seemed to make Allen do it the hard way and I think Allen definitely looked frustrated having to dink and dunk and throw it down to James Cook for nothing and until he had the like un- until he had the occasional big play to Stefan Diggs and Stefan Diggs was like open multiple times uh, for their best plays um, there wasn't really that much happening on a consistent basis so they had a few explosives, but they didn't have any consistent offense until uh, it was too late. And yeah, I think Jacksonville were good value for this win. Uh, and Buffalo uh, will probably have some valuable lessons if they end up being put in the international series again. 
Yeah, I, I don't think I come away from this game being maybe as, as up on the Jags as you guys are. I, I thought it was a pretty poor game all around. I mean, the Jags obviously should have killed them a lot more than they did because, I mean, there definitely was a jet lag issue. I don't think there's any question about that. When one team has had a week to acclimatize, the other team looks as sluggish as they did. I don't think there's any other thing you can point to uh, and, and, and blame it. Um, so maybe the NFL needs to, to look at that. Maybe there is something fundamentally un- unfair about giving two, one team two weeks in a foreign location and the other team two days. Uh, um, to be, to, to so, be fair, I think my understanding is that they could have came over earlier and they do provide them with training facilities, but Jacksonville chose, or say Buffalo chose to stay home until that point. Yeah, well, in that case, yeah, yeah and the, the Bills probably need to start Just bad planning, uh, I think. In, in, in doing that, yeah. But from the Jacksonville side, I mean, defensively, I thought they were quite good. The secondary in particular was doing a very nice job of restricting any kind of explosive plays. And then on the offensive side, it was a lot of just relying on the skill players doing things. There was a lot of kind of big third down plays where the, the big name stepped up. And as, as Ronan says, you kind of see Calvin Ridley really stepping into that WR1 role. And, and they, they seem more comfortable as each week goes by to lean on them a little bit more. That said, that the... the Trevor Lawrence ball security issues. This this was a big thing for him in his in his very early career, and it's not a thing you want to see creeping back in. He needs to be more careful with that because those were two scoring opportunities, six points, fourteen points that they they just left on on the board, and against a better team, they would have been um, punished. Um, in terms of the Bills, you got to look at Josh Allen's turnovers, starting taking unnecessary risks again. This is something that's creeping back in that you need to, to be worried about. Um, they got to, I mean, if Bills fans have to be frustrated by how unbelievably inconsistent this team is to, 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 to know that they're capable of doing what they did to the Dolphins a week ago and then to know they're also capable of doing this is that is such a wide, you know, range yeah. of possible <laughs> performances that it's just uh, being a fan of them must be the worst thing in the world. Sorry, Marcus. Um, but uh, yeah, they've got to be worried. I mean, defensively, I thought they were, okay up front there were a lot of defensive pressure going on and and i think that did help them in terms of keeping the jags uh, score down a little bit and obviously they got the turnovers as well the back end there was a there was quite weak i thought i think i'd be worried about kier kair elam the, i think he's a second year guy now kind of he hasn't been playing a lot but he's slotted in because tradavius white is out and he does not seem to understand how to perform his role in zone defenses uh, and he got kind of burnt a few times and that maybe points to a lack of depth and the way these defensive injuries are piling up and how important the Bills defense is to them and we've already talked about the loss of Milano that's got to be a big deal on the positive side obviously Epineza had a very good game probably his best game in, 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 a, in a Bills jersey so that there, there is some positives there offensively the run game was almost non-existent I think if Josh Allen had 25 yards or something running and he was the the biggest rusher the Bills had yeah so we've talked before about that balance they need to find a way to bring in the non-Josh Allen running game more um, and they don't seem to be able to fit that into the into the game scheme that they have so for the Bills this is just I I don't know. I'm very close to giving up on this Bills team entirely as a as a like a major competitive force in the league. If they're going to be this inconsistent and this prone to to having bad games, you can't consider them a, a contender at the very top level anymore. And in terms of the Jags, I just I don't think they've really stepped on from last year. I don't think they've made, been able to make that next leap forward. They made a big leap forward 
you know, halfway through last year when suddenly the, the Doug Peterson thing started to click and Trevor Lawrence was making, was playing very well and it, it all seemed to be coming together, but they don't, they seem to be stuck at a plateau and I just, I, they need to find a way to get to that next level because the level they're playing at right now is probably enough for good enough to win the AFC South, but won't get them much further than that. Um, and yeah, it's it's annoying because I like them as a team and I like Lawrence as, as a quarterback and stuff, but they just don't seem to be making that next step that I think they need to do if they want to if they want to move up to the top end of the AFC. Yeah. Uh, next up, we go to the AFC North: Baltimore at Pittsburgh, ten to seventeen. Uh, this one was all Pittsburgh's defense and special teams. They had a punt block, the safety, two fumbles, interception, four sacks couple of tackles for a loss it was a big kind of comeback win with them with a big second half essentially uh well you know not phenomenal quarter play quarterback play uh as we've kind of grown used to not getting phenomenal quarterback play out of pittsburgh in the last number of years they, they did enough 224 yards and a touchdown for pickett with uh, pickens kind of having a nice break aka 130 yards and a touchdown warren getting nearly 80 on the ground so just solid enough um like the, the problem with this one is this is Baltimore's fault. Uh, a lot of people will immediately blame Lamar. He had uh, 281 yards passing. He had a red zone interception and a fumble. He had mistakes in this game. It was not great, but when you watch back the tape on this one, just his wide receivers were dropping everything. There was, yeah, like there was just mistake after mistake and he made mistakes himself. And I think given how close the scoreline is, probably could have if, if if he'd been a little bit more careful might have been able to just pull it out anyway but like if his wide receivers had done the most simple of their jobs i don't think that this would be in range for the pittsburgh comeback realistically um so it was a very 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 sloppy game from them and like the defense while not you know mind-blowing did their job like they had pittsburgh held down until the tail end like if, if, if you can't score more than 17 points uh, against this Pittsburgh team, then, like, what is the point of all the investment on the offensive side of this Baltimore team? And I know that Pittsburgh are a good defense, but even what they had scheme-wise and everything was working. It was just, like, I think it was at the interception that the wide receiver caught, bobbled up into the air uh the defensive back batted it up behind him and his friend took it away for an interception like it was just it was dross to be honest from some of them uh and it's not not necessarily indicative of how we've seen baltimore perform in other weeks like we have we've seen zay uh um not zay jones what's the rookie called zay flowers Flowers. is it uh like he got off to a hot start and has disappeared in the last two or three weeks like they have playmakers there they just need to get back to doing it proper and maybe maybe Look, these guys know each other. They play twice a year. Maybe Pittsburgh just know that this is the kind of way to get them out of their out of their track or whatever. But like, yeah, this this was not good enough from the Baltimore wide receivers. It wasn't great from Lamar, but I wouldn't put the loss on him. I'd put it on the wide receivers. Oh no! If we, if we want to talk about responsibility, we can talk about all the drops um, by the wide receivers uh, in multiple situations and. Okay, you can you can give a kind of a pass to Zay Flowers because he's a rookie and he's going to be inconsistent. But when Mark Andrews is is dropping, you know, touchdown passes, that it's it's a very bad sign. And the Ravens just do not seem to be in a wonderful place right now. That they've they've had all this talent and they've had this situation for maybe three or four seasons now. They've had all this talent, and whether through injuries or through execution or whatever, is just not coming together in the way that it should. 
Um, especially offensively, this was a very messy game offensively, not just the, the drops by the wide receivers. Lamar, he mostly threw well, but the interception was a pretty terrible throw. They just had massive ball security issues in general, very reminiscent uh, of the Colts game that they lost uh, as well. So it just does not seem to be clicking at all side of which is a shame because their defense has been playing quite well this season and definitely feels like the stronger unit for these guys um right now so uh, given that they're you know to- coached by john harbaugh and stuff you'd, you'd expect that they would have this team clicked together a lot fa- a lot better they've definitely seemed to have regressed a little bit from 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 last they don't seem as dynamic at all uh and they really need to step up because the afc north is theirs for the taking because if this is this what the Steelers look like, and the Bengals look like, how the Bengals looking like, and the Browns are the how the Browns look like, then the Ravens should be winning this division by default, but not if they are incapable of winning divisional games. Because this is how AFC North games go, right there. They're, they're street fights, you know, that they're, they're low-scoring games where everyone kind of gets in the in the trenches and starts doing the war thing, and they just they just allow themselves to be beaten in this game through failing to execute and making, uh, you know, terrible or you know not great mistakes in terms of the Steelers you question they just don't have an awful lot of talent I think particularly on the offensive side uh, and they're certainly liable at times to be absolutely blown out they've lost a few times this season by huge margins um, but especially when it comes to divisional games they seem to come to play maybe it's because they they know how to prepare for them better they can target weaknesses that they know the defense is able to to, to do his thing a bit more um, because they seem willing in divisional games to fight a lot harder than they are otherwise offensively it's a mess uh matt canada i don't know how he still has his job this is this is just not a good offense on any stretch of the imagination it's very worrying how far Najee harris's level has dropped off that he's gone from being a rookie pro bowler to being a very average running back in the space of, of, you know, a quarter of a season, and they need to get his dy- dynamicism back. Uh, Pickett does not look to be developing at all. He doesn't seem to be improving in any way. This seems to be his level, and his level is, is just is not NFL starting quarterback caliber. And the sooner the Steelers realize that and move on, the better, albeit the alternatives at the moment aren't fantastic, which Mitch Titi and such like. The O-line looks quite weak. So all there's just very little about the offense to get excited about. On the defensive side, um, I mean, it's a lot of it is T.J. Watt. He is just carrying a lot of the load right now. Um, but they, they're getting some good plays and they're doing enough. But it, that's always kind of been, at least since Roethlisberger started to drop off in the later end of his, later end of his career, this kind of is the Mike Tomlin Steelers where the offense doesn't do an awful lot, but the defense is, is at quite a high level and capable explosive plays and in games like this where the other team isn't quite up to it they will win but i mean their which means their floor is quite high but their ceiling does not seem to be high at all and i just i don't know i wouldn't want to see this team in a playoff game for example they just they're just not exciting enough for me and yeah i just they got to fix the offense and if they fix the offense that could be quite a good team is because i said the afc north is kind of wide open but i just i i, I struggle to enjoy watching the steelers uh, these days because of just how poor they're off yeah, I suppose uh, to paraphrase uh, the South Park movie, uh, blame Canada, <laughs> blame Canada. He's not a real <laughs> offensive coordinator anyway. Um, yeah, like the offense for, for the Steelers has basically won them one game. I know it's two of these games are 
completely because the Pittsburgh defense exists, as you say, TJ Watt exists, and obviously there's other guys doing a good job there, Minka Fitzpatrick, etc. And Joey Porter got a pick here. Uh, it's very unfortunate there was like a r- rumor going around that Joey Porter was obviously his dad, famous trash talker, and he was saying OBJ, he should go be a family man. Uh, but apparently that was made up, but uh, he has that in the back pocket for the uh, return uh, leg. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if he gets another chance to use it. But yeah, look like they're... The Pittsburgh defense is doing all of the work for this team right now. Um, now, thankfully, the offense wasn't a complete disaster. They weren't turning the ball over and doing a bunch of stuff. To, and they do have some explosive elements. George Pickens has basically been thrown into the wide receiver one role since Deontay Johnson uh, was put on IR. And while it's been very up and down, uh, the ups have been very exciting. He's, he's been over 100 yards in a couple of games. He scores touchdowns. And he's obviously a very fun player. And he's someone that you can just throw the ball. He, he kind of is remind you of a young Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe not the most consistent receiver, but someone if you throw that them um good things happen uh so keep doing that and then there's probably a brewing running back controversy them because jalen warren just looks way more explosive than that and explosive than Najee harris probably deserves more uh, snaps uh he's obviously much more effective in the in the past game where he's doing a lot of his uh work right now but i think given you can just see it on the field it, it probably makes sense that they should be inverting it like he should be 1a and warren 1b as for pickett yeah I don't think you're seeing the growth that makes you think this guy's going to be a franchise quarterback. He just feels like a, a mid-level starter. Uh, if you give him enough time, I'm sure he could be a solid player and he's in the, probably one of the better organizations to try and develop as a quarterback um, in terms of the quality of coaching. But, you know, in, in an era where we have like superstar quarterbacks like uh, Trevor Lawrence and, and Josh Allen, like we just talked about a moment ago, where even though when they have bad games, you still see the elements of their game, which makes you go, okay, well, it's worked persevering and it's work keep working them because the things that they do well are so off the charts you know Pickett isn't really bringing that to the table so look you know Tomlin has his defense he has some offense uh, and if they put those two things together they can win games but uh, as Sean alluded to when those thing when the defense doesn't show up um they are liable to an absolute wasp whooping as for baltimore as i said last week you know everything's pretty much gone right for them this year uh, insofar as you could expect it to outside the injuries to them and losing this game is just really bad because now this entire nfc AFC north has kind of clumped up together i think the browns are two and two uh, the bengals are two and three uh, and now both of these teams are three and two and you could have been four and one and kind of slowly separating yourself from the pack but now it kind of feels like the AFC North is going to be a bit of a bloodbath uh, as you would expect from the division but given what you were seeing from Baltimore and they got a couple of lucky wins and, and they were kind of moving forward that's not the situation they want to be especially with all the injuries they have and as I think you know both you both of you said the wide receiver drops were absolutely killing them in the second half of this game they could have made it a comfortable game and in that case Lamar wouldn't have had to be doing hero ball stuff to try and beat this effect like this really effective defense now I, I think he does need to take some of the blame at the clutch moments like the interception just not justifiable just a terrible interception the fumble probably gives you a sense that you know it's never been his pocket presence has never been his uh, strongest suit um so I think he can take some blame for how the game ended but they should never have been that situation in the first place uh, I think you both said so you know definitely some big lessons to learn for Baltimore but uh, yeah the AFC North sounds like it's going to be another uh, tough year out there yeah uh, even with Cincinnati looking a little bit back to form it's uh, it's still looking like a scrappy one <clears throat> Next up, Houston at Atlanta, 19-20 to in a game that was uh, surprisingly tense, close, and I think a lot better than you would have expected in abstract when you're looking at this on your on your schedule back in the preseason. Uh, Coup scored a 37-yard walk-off field goal to give them the win uh, in a game that was surprisingly uh, a Ritter game. Now, this is, this is an Atlanta team that we've talked a lot about how they just kind of want to run the ball and not do anything, but 
this that was kind of shut down by the uh, by the defense here. So they went to the air, 339 yards and two touchdowns from Ritter, including a very fun uh, kind of flip touchdown to Bijan that uh, there's some excellent angles of because of a weird camera thing they have installed uh, in the stadium. It looks pretty good. But yeah, so spreading it around to Pitt, London, Smith. Uh, so like, you know, the kind of uh, the, 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 the bit more of the pass game that you maybe wanted to see for them to round it out a bit seems to be working a little bit more, uh, albeit against maybe not as good a secondary uh, as it is at, at stopping the run in Houston. Stroud had a slower game today, 249 yards and a touchdown. Still, you know, incredibly consistent. Quite a very much seems to be kind of a good pickup, good steal in the draft. Really, he's he's kind of hit the ground running nicely. Uh, they were slowed a bit because Atlanta's defense really did step up well in this one. Um, but you know, got to the got to the tail end of the. Of the game, as we said, the, the, the got to business time, and he was clutch on that final drive, uh, getting them all the way down. And this is a good win for them. Um, they kind of wanted to right the ship a little bit, and it's probably good that they that they did it in uh, kind of like I said, the slightly different fashion. Shows that they can get the that they can get the air game going as well. You would like to have them be able to find success on the ground with Bijan, even in games where teams kind of target that and try and stop it because it seems to be that every time that that's happened they haven't been able to figure out how to just get it happening around like defenses that are keying in on the run stuff so that's something they'll need to work on for if they want to do anything kind of later on the season with this stuff but good win for atlanta decent performance from houston not quite there but uh like i said they're houston feel like they're maybe a year or two behind atlanta in terms of like their team development stuff and i think obviously houston have a bit more time to figure it out versus i think it's a year three now in atlanta under this kind of slow partial rebuild of the last two or three years so yeah solid from atlanta decent from houston two teams on slightly different trajectories but positives to be seen on both sides yeah this was a much bigger game for atlanta obviously atlanta as you say are much further into their process they want to compete for the nfc south uh, where it's probably between them and the bucks and uh, the Saints and all have their own uh, given strengths and weaknesses and are very up and down game to game. But I think this is a really big win for Atlanta to just steady the ship after what's been a, a kind of tough uh, kind of early start of the season. Uh, certainly last week wasn't great. Um, and to just scrape it out here to get the uh, coup walk-off field goal, that's the kind of stuff that you want to see from Arthur. I think the biggest thing, as you said, is that Desmond Ritter, like, was good. Uh, like I'm not going to say he was amazing, but he 329 yards, two touchdowns. You can't really complain uh, too much of that. Too much about that. Um, he was spreading the ball around to all of his receivers. Like the you know more of it went to Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Um, but he was spreading it to lots of receivers all around the park, and he was doing it in a way which uh, felt relatively comfortable. Like the Houston defense didn't really seem to be a, a huge factor in this game. They like you if you know they had zero sacks, but they had seven tackles, tackles for a loss. So that gives you an idea of kind of where they uh, the Houston defense was focusing its efforts. <laughs> and that was very much on stop stop the robinson uh you know uh, and they did they, they did that correctly they got like robinson was only held the 46 yards ali aljagier was only on 40 yards um and like basically both were around three or less yards per carry so 
you know, it, it was the right thing to do from Houston, but, you know, uh, you know, Ritter, if you literally just sell out completely and you have a very young defense, obviously, with Houston and they have, you know, they obviously don't have the back backfield, um, you can give up enough points here, 21, to, to lose the game. But I think that's, you know, given what we've seen from Ritter, I wasn't even sure he would pass that test. So I think that's just a big positive takeaway from the game yeah. uh, for Atlanta. Like, you know, they have a good defense. The defense is uh, very good. And in this game, I think they, they played quite interestingly. Uh, I was reading, uh, I saw a bit on the tape that, like, you know they're playing a lot of press coverage and i hate the obviously with press coverage what you're kind of saying is like okay you know you have your guys we have our guys you know beat us basically beat us one-on-one nico collins tank dell robert woods beat us one-on-one and while i think tank dell and nico collins and lesser extent robert woods have shown uh, some really good production in early goings none of them are would be guys i would consider to be like elite route runners guys who have that kind of like elite uh, level uh, finesse that they could get off that kind of sticky coverage off the line mm-hmm. and uh, that'll obviously be something that uh, other teams will probably be more aggressively doing going forward you would imagine um or at least people who who, who actually prepare for for houston uh, seriously and so i think that's interesting but i think that like you know and, and like that's not great because obviously stroud had probably one of his lesser games although that, that's more of a testament to how good he's been this year um because he wasn't seeing those windows like he weren't beating the zone he wasn't getting those big plays to uh tank dell and nico collins and obviously dell left this game early as well uh but what you saw i think the thing that it's promising the thing that makes you go as a Houston fan oh well it's not that bad is that when the chips were down when Houston had to score a touchdown uh, to take a game take the take the lead late in this game by one point he led them on a 75 yard uh, drive and he looked you know you know a guy who was like four or five like five years his elder like someone who was a veteran in this league who's been doing stuff and i think you know he's thrown no interceptions so far in his career he's been effective in every single game and in in relevant scenarios in the last few weeks not just garbage time like he was in kind of week or two one and two and just every week he just seems to be growing as a player and he came up against a really good test from atlanta which they couldn't quite get over but at when the ships were down at the clutch moment he did what he needed to do to give them the best chance of winning you know, if they hadn't given him the field goal, he would have been lauded even more than he is. But uh, I yeah. think they've found a really good one on Stroud, and they're probably very excited to see what's coming uh, going forward. Yeah, but uh, but Sean, just to say, Sean was right. He's like, you can't trust the Texans. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they got there in the end. Yeah, uh, Philly at the Rams, twenty-three to fourteen. Philly kind of grind out. What was quite an exciting game, uh, Hertz was doing all kinds of Hertz stuff. So 375 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. They had uh, a tush-push touchdown at the end of the first half, uh, and he was kind of getting everyone going. So Brown had 127 yards, Goddard over 110 in the touchdown, Swift nearly 110 on the ground. Like, it was very impressive against what we've said is a little bit of an undermanned uh, Rams defense. Stafford was grand like 222 yards two touchdowns solid reliable uh, we got an answer to the question of what happens when cooper cup comes back and the answer is both cooper cup and puka nakua are going to get loads of targets so uh cup had 118 yards nakua at 71 yards and a touchdown uh basically this means like if you want to probably cut your fantasy bait with any other wide receivers that are on this team because there's just not going to be enough things to go around but philly came out in the second half and they said right we're gonna we're gonna turn up the heat on Goff, we're going to try and see if we can get these, or sorry, on Stafford, see if we can get them off their mark, and it kind of worked, you know, they had four sacks there, they held them out in the second half entirely, uh, got the got, got the job done, and this is somewhat of what the concern about this Rams team was, that they're good, and they're explosive, and they're exciting, but can they deal with kind of a, a talented team who can kind of go punch for punch and keep the pressure on later on, like, if 
uh, it, it kind of it just looked to be a little bit lacking in this one. Philly definitely looked more complete, as we said. They they kind of seem to be settling into themselves as the season develops, and this is still like not not like not a world beating performance from their offense. It was a particularly good one from their defense, but uh, yeah, like. Yeah. It's that thing of this. The, the, this is kind of the difference in where I think these two teams are. Of like, Philly seemed to be in control and know what they were going to do in the second half, and the Rams felt a little bit rudderless, a little bit like, well, we'll just keep doing what we're doing because it's worked so far. Rather than you know, McVeigh's normally known for changing things up and, and 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 evolving throughout a game to keep people guessing on the game plan. And I just it didn't feel like they had that in the second half of this game. Yeah, there was a bit of a, a game of two halves kind of situation to it. The Rams, I mean, to their credit, you know, they, they were competitive. There was at least three quarters in this game where where the Rams were were, were pretty much toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the a- NFC, that even if the offense wasn't quite where it needed to be, the defense was hanging on despite being on the field for most of the game, like despite the, the sheer amount of time that they were spending having to deal with the Eagles. But ultimately, they just found themselves just coming up a little bit short in, in terms of the, the major areas they needed to be. Cooper Cup started to get it, went a bit quiet in the second half. The Eagles started to adjust and figure out what he was doing, which kind of stifled what the Rams were doing offensively. And defensively, the, 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 the guys, if we want to talk about the defense being Aaron Donald plus guys, the, the guys started to, you know, they started to miss crucial ca- tackles. They'd start to not execute defensively. Diari and Kendrick in particular suffered, and they just ultimately weren't able to, to keep pace with them. But, I mean, I think we need to put this in context because we did think the Rams were going to be terrible this year, and this is a team that's probably on the, the cusp, the edge of, of playoff contention, which is a lot better than we thought uh, they would be that they have managed to assemble a pretty good team from where they are. And if this is the standard that they're falling short against, that's actually a pretty good sign for them. In terms of the Eagles, I think we are starting to see the offense starting to find their groove a little bit, getting back to last year's level. This In this game, they were able to rely a little bit more on Jalen Hurts doing some scrambling. I think he got 75 yards of running, which was the most he's done this year, if I'm not mistaken, which kind of proves that they're developing the multiple ways to beat you thing, which was the big problem from from last year, that they just have so many different ways to win. The offensive line was really dominant. Um, Their defense did, as I said, did enough when it was needed to do. They made the adjustments uh, and got the stops when they needed to. Offensively, maybe some red zone conversion issues. We saw this a little bit earlier in the season as well. They struggled generally with converting in the red zone, so maybe they need to work on that. But if we want to talk about the Eagles week by week looking better, um, they certainly are doing that. They are certainly looking each week I, I see them, they're like, okay, these guys are looking a little bit more polished, a little bit better. And so you can only imagine where they're going to be by, by week 18 or whatever. And then they certainly look like they're going to be at the top end. And at the Rams, I'm kind of excited to see where this goes. Obviously, a team with flaws. Um, they maybe are over-reliant on one or two kind of star players offensively and defensively. Maybe they don't have the experience and the depth to really compete at the top end. But these guys are going to be there, thereabouts in terms of wild card. And it's going to be interesting to see how, how that how that plays out. Yeah. Uh, no, like I said, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just saying... Right. They're in that tier below, I think, is where we're yeah, at the yeah. moment. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and look, we'll see, because like I said, there's a lot of youth on the team. They've got a lot of young players and, and, and you know, fill-in players. and Possibly they'll round 
further into form as we get towards the tail end of the season. Um, next up, we have Tennessee at Indianapolis, 16-23. to Indies backups put on a great little show. Minshew went for 155 yards, and Zach Moss said, wait, why do you need to sign another running back? I'll have 195 yards and two touchdowns, please. Uh, with the Tennessee defense, who was essentially not able to get anything going. I think they had one sack in this game, and that was the lot of it. Uh, but this means that they are solidly controlled the AFC South, albeit now with the caveat that they're going to be rocking backup uh, quarterback for the next four to eight weeks. Tannehill looked solid, 276 yards, but through an interception, and we saw that it does appear that New Hopkins still has it. He had 140 yards in this game, but nothing else was really going for them. Henry wasn't really getting anything going, and then he was out-snapped by Spears, who had like 79 yards and a touchdown. It was just kind of like... It's it it, it I, hate, I hate to be banging this drum like with the exception of Hopkins being explosive in a way that maybe their passing stuff hasn't been of late. This very much just feels like them trotting out the old tried and tested Tennessee approach, not getting success with Henry in this instance, which is becoming more common uh, as he gets a little bit older. He's had more down games this season than I think he maybe did all of last season or the season before that, but. It just it just doesn't feel like there's much of a much of a next gear up for Tennessee. If if if, if Henry works, then they're just going to run it 35 times and pass 10 times. And if it doesn't work, they'll th- pass it a little bit. They might get a few bits of success, but they don't have a coherent game plan for it. And yeah, it just it, it just feels lost. And then to, to top it all off, then you're up against a backup. And as I said, good backup in Minshew, but a backup nonetheless. And their defense wasn't able to get anything going. Like it just feels a little bit floating and floating and floating towards right let's cut bait and start planning for our next youth movement because obviously this car the the treads have worn quite thin on the tires yeah i think this game was almost reminiscent of that scene from the simpsons where like bart is windmilling his arms and lisa starts kicking air it's like we're just going to move towards each other and if you get hit it's your own fault um because both teams just were like we're just going to do a thing uh, you're going to know exactly what we're going to do and then at the end someone's going to win the game and the fact that that the team who won the game in what was basically run the ball off run the ball football um, is a pretty bad sign I'd say for Tennessee obviously you've been one of the best you know just run the ball down your throat teams over the last five years or so that's basically their only uh, thing that they had going uh, especially in the last few years so the fact that they're now in a situation where Indianapolis can do that with you know Zach Moss and with Gardner Minshew in there, like not, you know, you didn't get beat by some kind of, you know, super dual tread quarterback. He got beat by Gardner Minshew, who can run a little bit, but it's hardly uh, the most dynamic player in that sense. It's not a great sign, uh, I would say, uh, for them going forward. Uh, Indianapolis, I think, you know, you have to give major props to Shane Steichen, um, given how much disarray this team has had, obviously coming from last year when it was an absolute circus. And then all during the offseason, you had the situation with Jonathan Taylor. They've had a number of injuries that they would, of course, most uh, prominently the injuries to Anthony Richardson. Uh, they've had injuries on the defense. I think uh, Shaq Leonard and Kitty Pay were missing in this game. Like the fact that he's pulling these all together and making them competitive week on week, basically straight away is you know a really good sign for this team going forward and obviously that division uh the jags are obviously going to be in there um as well but you know i definitely feel the colts are well into having a chance to to taking a win from that division and actually winning it as well so you know going forward obviously it's going to be a step down with Minshew just in terms of upside but obviously you have a safe floor there he's one of the best backups and you hope that that'll work out as they go forward yeah. and the Tennessee defense which can sometimes be a factor sometimes not this season uh, was basically completely neutralized by this kind of conservative but very effective run game I think for Tennessee 
yeah, okay, DeAndre Hopkins worked out, I suppose, uh, but obviously he's a 30-something uh, receiver. Tad Hill's a 30-something quarterback. Henry's a late 20-something running back with a lot of wire, uh, tire on the tread, and you know now he's getting outperformed like Ty J. Spears, like a kind of receiving back. Um, there's just nothing on this team outside of the occasionally when the defensive line comes alive um, that really makes you go, oh yeah, they're building something here. So I think for this team... Look, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, don't call it a rebuild, but basically I would probably be trying to prioritize getting young guys or, or potential guys out there and, and seeing what you have yeah. because, you know, what you have right now is the end of an era and it should have been got rid of a year ago. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Dallas and San Francisco, 10 to 42. San Francisco continue to just be utterly dominant and the Cowboys, uh, we'll talk about the Cowboys in a minute. <laughs> Uh, Purdy had 252 yards and four touchdowns three of them went to Kittle so Kittle finally had his big breakout game after a very slow start to the season and uh, this Dallas defense really didn't know what to do uh, it was just kind of out of sorts it was a bad night for Dak he had 155 yards a touchdown and three interceptions uh, with this San Francisco defense absolutely hammering them three interceptions a fumble four sacks six tackles for a loss and kept them to about 200 yards uh, Dallas obviously playing from behind but started making worse decisions in the second half and it didn't really go fantastically well for them Sean my question is this are Dallas actually just shite because I'm looking back over it and their wins are over the Giants who we now know kind of how bad they are over the Jets the week after they lost Aaron Rodgers they lost to the Cardinals and they beat the Patriots who we kind of have seen lose multiple games like this like they haven't actually beaten anyone and they lost to the Cardinals and obviously they lost to the 49ers they are I think a step above all these ones but like are Dallas actually bad? Because I know that most of the coverage since this game has been Jerry Jones assuring people that Dak Prescott is going to remain their quarterback, and that's in no small part to do with the fact that he cost them $62 million to cut. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I think any illusions we might have had about the Cowboys being an elite team this year got, got comprehensively smashed. I think we'll know more. They've, the, the, got, the kind of games are coming up. They've got, I think, the Chargers and the Rams coming Chargers up. Chargers and Rams are next, two. yeah two games and I think that kind of level where we'll get a sense of how they are are they above average or is there something to this defense and they just they just got at a bad day um certainly I mean if you want to talk about they know what a standard is right I think I think it, it you know I, I almost believe that Mike McCarthy's post-game talk was just was written for him it was just he goes in like okay guys now we know the level we have to to because these guys are the level we have to get to and we are nowhere near that and I think it's it, it's going to be interesting to see if that spurs them on in terms of motivation or if they just maybe don't have that that level to rise up to certainly Dak Prescott was very poor here I'm re, you know I'm really being to question when was the last time this guy had a good season um, he's certainly not performed well for a number of years now and is it's starting to feel like he's he's, he's holding this team back a little bit. Um, uh, although, you know, nobody really helped themselves. CeeDee Lamb was anonymous. They didn't really get anything going offensively whatsoever. And, and you can credit the, the San Francisco defense for, for that, showing them what an elite defense actually looks like. Defensively, obviously, is the more worrying part because this was the, you know, the vaunted Dan Quinn defense. And I was as guilty as anyone else for saying that this defense is, is one of the best defenses I've seen. And maybe now I've seen them, you know, get destroyed. Maybe I'm not quite there. One of the things that was really was interesting to me was just the 
very simple motion plays was completely screwing up this defense. Like they would, so the 49ers, I think, are after the Dolphins, one of the main teams that uses motion in their offensive plays, and the Cowboys' defense were not reacting at all. They were basically trying to play zone against it, which basically allowed Kyle Shanahan to pick his matchups. He was like, okay, yeah. I want Debo against this linebacker. I'm just going to move Debo here, and they're not going to react. And that's very worrying from a from a Cowboys' defensive point of view, that they were not making the adjustments to, to kind of tackle what they were up against, and they didn't seem to have any answers for what they were facing. So, that I mean, that's on Dan Quinn as much as anybody, that he, that he did not seem to have a plan for how to stop one of their what assumed at this point was one of their main rivals for for the top end of the NFC. So for the Cowboys, it's it, this is day one. They'll go back uh, to the to you know the train back to training camp and be like, this is day one. We got to start again because this is a level we have to get to if we want to be competitive. And I certainly, my opinion of them has lowered quite considerably after this. In terms of the 49ers, I I feel so vindicated. Like, I, you know, I, I, you know, we were joking about, oh, I was the only person to call the 49ers, but I really, I really tried to emphasize how much I, I thought this team was going to be good. And they are so, so good. It's, it's, oh, it's a joy to watch. The offense has just so many different ways to hurt you. You can stop one, you can stop two, but you absolutely cannot stop them all. You, they've got CMC, they've got Debo, Brandon Ayuk is having a career year. George Kittle had a hat trick of touchdowns. Brock Purdy is... You know, giving me shades of Tom Brady. If it, if it, if it's on, you know, maybe a little bit premature to be making these kinds of comparisons. It's just incredible performance to just to just lay down a marker of this standard against a team that was considered to be quite good um, before it. On the defensive side, absolutely elite. Completely outshone the Cowboys' defense. Fred Warner just killed every play he was in, uh, and it's just it's just amazing. Um, to watch, I, I was very impressed. I, 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 very impressed with Purdy. Um, I really, it, it's difficult because I, I kind of know the kind of quarterback he is supposed to be. He, he is that. I mean, he's a late round pick guy who's a system quarterback, and you can never get past that. That even when you're Tom Brady, and you've won seven Super Bowls. People are like, oh, he's just a system quarterback. Yes, Brock Purdy is a system quarterback, but he's a perfect fit for a really, really good system. And it. If you want to give some comparisons, you can compare him to someone like Mac Jones, for example, who is, is supposed to be the heir to Brady. And Brady is making better reads. He's making fewer mistakes. He's taking When he takes risks, they pay off better. He just does not seem to make mistakes, which is a very rare thing for someone of his level of experience. Um, this is the most complete team I think I've seen at this point of the season ever. Like I, I struck. I mean, some of the Pats teams are really, really good Pats teams. The the sixteen year old team were maybe at that level, but they are on both sides of the ball at an incredibly advanced level. And it's week five. Like, where is this team going to be in, in three months' time? This is incredible combo of talent and coaching on both sides of the ball. I was watching this game, and the the thoughts that were coming through my head is: are, Is this team going to go seventeen and zero? Um, now, I think they probably won't, largely because they're a California team, so therefore they have to travel a lot. They have a road game against Philly. They have to play the Seahawks twice. They're probably not going to win them all. But, I mean, you want to compare them to something like the Eagles? This team is much better than the Eagles already. Now, maybe the Eagles will get there by Week 18, but right now this 49ers team has set the standard, not just for the NFC, for the NFL as a whole. And I, I really... 
I, I, I struggle to see how they're not going to win a Super Bowl if they play at this level. I, yeah. I really am. This team is so good. Well, so, so, so good. I, I think I think if you ask any of our, because we have a couple of friends who are 49ers fans, they would tell you that the reason they might struggle to win a Super Bowl is the expectation is in three months' time, about eight of them will be on injured reserve. That like, they... <laughs> well, yes, true, true, true. Yeah, um, and, and, start... but yeah, but barring that, they are like they are the the, the class at the moment. And Sean, you're right. Like you know, the team talk makes sense. Like you know, this is where we need to reach. Uh, but someone should tell Micah Parsons this because he doesn't think they're at a level below the 49ers right yes, now. Yes, he came out and came out in the media and said, uh, "I don't think the score is representative of how different we are from each other. I think we're at their level. They just got lucky today, and uh, we can we can definitely deal with them." It's like that, that is a oh, real Micah. dump off of a take. That's a dump off of a take right there. It is, yeah. Speaking of... Yeah, we obviously love all of the games, but some of them are uh, less good and Fitz loves them, so we're going to fire it off to him on the dump off. Yeah, obviously dump off a little bit smaller as we move into uh, bye season. They were missing four uh, teams this week, two games. Uh, but we'll start with a couple of the closer games. Uh, first up, Monday Night Football, Green Bay at Vegas, 13-17. to 17. Uh, Las Vegas, hold on. And this is despite uh, Josh McDaniels once again ex- inexplicably going for a field goal at a crunch point of the game. At this time to hold on to the lead. Uh, they went for a 52-yard field goal, which would have made it a seven-point game. Uh, they missed it, uh, which gave uh, the Green Bay a short field, which they did nothing with. Uh, so... McDaniels, I don't know, he just doesn't like winning or just has never heard of analytics, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, They got away with it. Uh, Jimmy G, 208, touchdown interception, not really great, but, you know, better than what was on the other side, as we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Jacobs continues to kind of be slowly ramping up into what he was last year. Not amazing, any night in a touchdown, but uh, better than than, than what we saw in the first couple of weeks. And Myers here was the top receiver, 75 yards. Uh, Adams was there, and he made a couple of clutch plays when it mattered, but he's definitely playing hurt, so you'd have some concerns about... Um, how much value he'll have until that's fully resolved. As for Green Bay, Jordan Love is quickly turning into a pumpkin after a hot start to the season. Three interceptions in this game, he was imploding, and particularly when the game was on the line in that final drive when he was basically given a free chance on a short field uh, to win this game if he got a touchdown. Um, I think the la- on the interception, he basically had free roam to kind of take a long run and obviously get out of bounds. He went for the hero ball, it got intercepted, and the game was over. So... Yeah, not great times for uh, Green Bay right there, uh, but we saw enough early on to maybe get there, but uh, I think someone was saying that his uh, statistics under pressure are not good, so uh, something to definitely deal with there. Uh, Watson actually had an early 100 yard here, so that's a bright spot at least. Next up, Kansas City, Minnesota, 27-20. to uh, Kelsey was playing through the pain here, but he got the key touchdown that won the game. Mahomes was solid, 281s and two touchdowns. He's working hard against Minnesota defense that I think was trying to get at him, but you know, when the chips were down, he was making the clutch plays and, and they basically won this game. Um, some controversy involving the refs, some some yeah, flags that shouldn't have been there, some flags that weren't called, but uh, you know, I think overall I'd probably say Kansas City were still somewhat the better team, so they deserve the win. On the ha- other hand, Minnesota, yeah, flags came out all guns blazing, nearly 50% blitz rate here, and Cousins... I wouldn't say it was great, he did get sacked a fair amount, but he did just throw up a bunch of hope balls to his receivers, and it more or less worked out. He didn't throw a pick, he had two inter- two touchdowns, nearly 300 yards, but uh, yeah, I think he definitely felt the loss of Jefferson when in the final play. It's just a Hail Mary attempt, and Cousins just sits there and gets sacked in the face. I suppose, I don't know if that's worse or better than throwing it to the tight end with five yards left that he didn't play off last year, but uh, it's certainly still not the best uh, solution to the problem. Uh, maybe watching Aaron Rodgers play. But ring up Aaron Rodgers, he's not that busy. You can probably talk about COVID uh, to strike things up. Next up, Jets at Denver, 31-21. Jets, uh, humble uh, Denver. Obviously, uh, 
some famous comments uh, from Sean Payton about Nathaniel Hackett, the, the Jets offensive coordinator. Uh, well, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is a very big brain offensive coordinator because you go, Brees Hall, good, we give ball to Brees Hall, and uh, it works. 194 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and Wilson, you know, not a great game, 190 yards and a touch interception and a couple of pretty bad gaffes. Uh, he, his clock manager did in the first half meant that they didn't get a field goal. The interception late was inexplicable, but, you know, compared to what we saw in that first game of him, uh, it was better, and there's still some progress, so hope, at least, for the Jets going forward. As for Denver, Ross, once again, started out hot. He got a couple of touchdowns, uh, but by the end, when, when, when the game was on, uh, the mistakes just came back in. Uh, they had a fumble on a trick play. Uh, Russell Wilson got sacked, and he fumbled the ball, for a, which went for a touchdown from Bryce Hall, really all Hall, all the time in the Jets right now and just yeah right now it looks like Sean Payton his axe is getting sharpened and a lot of changes are going to come pretty quickly I feel if this is where things continue to be uh, as we go forward next up Cincinnati Arizona 34 to 20 uh well look the Cincinnati offense finally has a thing hey Burrow just throw it to Jamar Chase he said he's always open and in this game he goddamn well was 192 yards and three touchdowns of Chase uh, constituting over half of the 300 or so yards that Burrow had um, there's really nothing else outside that. Mixon's been okay this season, but yeah, if it works, it works. And Arizona, you know, some harsh lessons there to maybe, uh, you know, double, triple, quadruple cover, whatever, uh, whatever needs to be done. But uh, hope for Cincinnati going forward. And as we said, you know, the AFC North is much more bunched up now than it looked like it might be a couple of weeks ago. As for Arizona, Dobbs, he had three turnovers in this game. It was a very tough day at the office. The Cincinnati defensive line we know is good, but uh, even given that, you definitely wouldn't like to see this. And, you know, you would worry with James Conner out that there might be a bit of a, re a regression here. Um, still way above expectations, but, you know, uh, you know compared to maybe the like priors moving over the last couple of weeks, it's a bit disappointing. Uh, but the Cincinnati O and D basically uh, did their job, particularly late in this game, to kind of make it a, a non-factor by the end. Next up, Thursday Night Football, Chicago-Washington, 40-20. to uh, Chicago honor Dick Butkus by getting the W uh, on the day uh, after he died. Or the day, the day uh, that he died. Um, Fields, the, the turnaround seems to be coming. 339 yards, four touchdowns. I don't know why it's happened or how it's happened, but it's looking good right now. And it seems to be a lot be just, hey, hook it up to DJ Moore, who went 230 yards, three touchdowns, pretty much all in the first half when they were up 27-3 to at the half. Uh, Washington's defense was just did nothing. Uh, until it was too late and you know they were slowed down in the second half by all those injuries including uh, Khalil Herbert getting crumpled into a piece of paper and the clock management obviously came in but uh, Howell 407 yards two touch interception but that's all garbage time production um, he's still a good thing I don't think he's the problem here it's just the defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain and the game was over before it even began uh, next up Giants at Miami 16 to 31 don't believe the score the Giants were even worse than this implies uh, they basically got gifted a free touchdown by Miami uh, on a tipped interception uh, to also threw another interception which led to, to points I believe uh, but basically outside of that the Giants had literally nothing um, Miami were playing sloppy and it was still a trivial win um, for Miami to uh, by 300 yards to a two touchdown so he's fine outside those dumb mistakes uh, HN had a big 76 yard uh, touchdown early on this game uh, but the, the result never went down Jones nothing happening here his offensive line was decimated he has no weapons at least Darren Waller's used a bit more and Banjo's defense had an easy day out so look you know this is my amateur's way better than the Giants uh, easy win next up Carolina Detroit similarly Detroit 42-24 uh, Detroit are just a better team very obvious over the course of the game you know Goff 236 yards and three touchdowns they didn't have Amon Rock St. Brown they didn't have Jameer Gibbs didn't really matter because uh, he could just throw it to Sam Laporta he could get Monty uh, to run it for 129 yards and a touchdown so it just looked easy for them out there against obviously a very banged up Carolina defense 
Bryce Young, three touchdowns, two interceptions. To be fair, a lot of that, you know, it didn't matter. He threw the two interceptions were quite bad, albeit one was a, a very special catch by H Hutchinson, who seems to have a little sidebar of getting interceptions alongside being a sack uh, master. Uh, definitely probably should be number one overall last year. Uh, though he's happy there because he's a Detroit boy, so you will like it for that. And outside Adam Thielen, who's having a little bit of a, an Indian summer, um, 109 in touchdown, not really anything out going Carolina. Uh, very disappointing, obviously, given that they're supposed to be a young, up-and-coming team. Uh, basically listless right now and finally oh, <laughs> you thought last week was bad welcome to garbage zone times two 34 to 0 stonking of the new england patriots by uh new orleans teams who aren't even that good let's be frank uh the new england implosion on the offense is frankly uh, inexplicable um i don't know if you want to comment on this sean but like Two interceptions and a fumble, the pick six early, I don't know what the fuck Mac Jones is thinking. And this New Orleans defense, which to be fair, is a decent defense, held them to around 150 yards. One of 14 on third time, just absolute, oh, it's just bad, oh, it's so the, bad. The, and the defense the with all the injuries. The fact came out and looked terrible as well is a very bad indicator of, like, there's probably scheme issues as well in this. Just, yeah, yeah. Like, I, do, I, I just don't understand how this offense could somehow be worse than last year. Like, like it should not be. Matt, Matt Patricia was holding it all together. Oh my god! If that's true, like. and like you know, it you know, uh, I think the the, the one. The one that go in comparison between Juju Smith-Schuster's contract and Jacoby Myers' contract looks worse every week, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, look, New Orleans weren't any great shakes on offense. Like, uh, Carr did have two touchdowns and it was a bit better than last week where he looked like he could throw the ball. Uh, but this was still a lot of just dumping the ball off to Alvin Kamara, who nearly had 100 yards. But, yeah, I think you definitely see New England's defense with the injuries uh, to Christian Gonzalez, who's now, I think, confirmed out for the season, and Judon, who's, I think, very similarly probably out for the season. Uh, yeah, even that isn't really working. Even the special teams aren't working. He did a couple of special team goofs in this game as well. It's just nothing to hold your hat on to at all. Uh, things are getting very ugly very fast, and I don't know where this is going to end, but I don't think it's going to be in a very pleasant place. No. So that's the dump off for uh, week five. Talk well, do we want to do, do you want a bit of breaking news? Do, 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 do. Using that we kind of called it earlier on in the podcast. I said uh, it would appear that no longer uh, will you know the Rams need any additional wide receivers. The Falcons have just agreed a trade with the Rams for their wide receiver Van Jefferson, a sixth and seventh round pick swap. But yeah, I think the Rams have basically decided we've got too many of these. We need to start getting rid of some of them. So Van Jefferson. What, 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 when you said breaking news just after. The, oh the yeah, you thought it was Bill the, Belichick being gone. I thought it was Belichick <laughs> being canned, and I was like, oh no. Oh, I would we love to go to boarding for. That would just that, that would have been absolutely perfect timing, but I think he's probably got at least another week or two before they do that. <laughs> anyway, I think Sean will be talking about New England in the preview, so you'll have your chance to uh, to uh, give your opinions. Then I think as well. Excellent, excellent, and sure. Look, will we go and have a look at the games for next week? Okay, so first up, Thursday Night Football, Denver taking on Kansas City and Arrowhead. Uh, obviously, questions going into this one are going to be, will Kelsey be playing? Uh, is there kind of a bit more growth being shown in the offense? There's some interesting stats doing the rounds about how there's actually not as markedly a fall off in like passing yards and stuff from previous years. It's just that it's spread out amongst more people. But you would like to see, you know, Rashi Rice took a step forward last week. Justin Ross looked good on the two or three catches he had to try and maybe get that working a little bit more. Denver continuing to kind of collapse is going to be an interesting look because uh, they like it's just it's just so strange to see that Russell seems to be working all right on the offense for them with their defense just being this bad. Uh, I'm intrigued to see because I think that means that we'll 
get a bit of a test on Kansas City's defense here because Denver do appear to be able to throw the ball. They have a number of wide receiver options there. And uh, I kind of like to see is it McLaughlin, the little tiny running back, uh, see what he gets up to as well. But it's hard to see past Kansas City in this one, although this is the kind of, it would be very classic on a Thursday night football to uh, take the eye off the ball and lose one to Denver. Although it's normally to someone else because Denver, I think it's now, is it eight years since they've beaten the Chiefs? Uh, it's quite a long streak and long may that streak continue. So we've got Kansas City across the board. Ronan, you're taking the first London game here, Baltimore at Tennessee. Oh, that doesn't sound like the most enjoyable matchup to me. <laughs> Yeah, n- n- one for the purists probably. Uh, Tennessee are, are an ever fading. One, one for those that are already like sunk cost with the tickets bought. <laughs> yeah, like this is ten- Tennessee are in like a photocopy of a photocopy territory at this point. Uh, like they're just a, a very pale shadow of what they were. Like Derrick Henry's getting outstabbed by Ty J Spears at this. Well, in terms of production, it's just ugh, there's nothing there for Tennessee. They ha- like they're well coached, so they're very much like the immediate post Brady uh, England New England Patriots. They're probably going to win like six, seven games regardless. But you never want to see them win because they're just not fun to watch. As for Baltimore, definitely a big setback last week. But I think like the offense, if people just start catching the ball, would have been fine there. And that's against one of the better defenses in the league. So I think Baltimore, as long as they don't like self immolate, uh, they should have enough to take down Tennessee but we know that Tennessee in if this turns into a tight tense game they can sneak one but uh, I think we all want Baltimore to win and they probably should win yeah next up we've got New Orleans at Houston uh myself and Ronan have gone for Houston Sean's gone for New Orleans uh obviously look New Orleans big performance last week their defense is still looking very tasty but their offense hasn't been doing a ton well if you discount last week which I think we'll all pretend didn't happen right Sean um but yeah like, <laughs> oh, it very much happened uh, the, 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 the question is is that a, is that representative of the Saints offense turning a corner or is that representative of New England so I think this will be a good game to kind of see that in as we said Houston are exploitable through the air uh, as, 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 as as seen uh, last week but New Orleans are they the team to do it uh, it should be it should be a relatively close enough game I would imagine like these feel like kind of they have strengths in different areas but like I, I would take the Houston offense over the New Orleans offense and vice versa on the defenses so I think it should make for an interesting one yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the, the, the Saints offense is improving week on week. They look pretty terrible at the start of the season, but I think Derek Carr is kind of getting into his groove a little bit. Um, and I, it, it does come back for me, unfortunately, to the do I Houston, and I, I just don't know if I'm quite in that place yet. Yes, Stroud is looking very impressive, especially for a rookie, and he looks like they the Texans might finally have got their guy, but... Still the Texans, they still look a little bit vulnerable in certain spots. And I, there's something reliable. The car new Orleans combination, there's something, there's like a reliability about that, that in situations like this, I trust, I trust them to get the win in, in games like this. Yeah, and I think like D'Amico Ryan's is going to test, is Derek Carr able to throw the ball deep? Because he didn't really have to do it last week to beat New England. And he was definitely not able to do it in his... Uh, the first week back from the AC joint. So I will be interested to see what D'Amico Ryan's cooks up for the Houston defense uh, and whether he says, okay, beat us deep with Olave, beat us deep with, uh, you know, Rashid Shahid. Otherwise, your dump-offs to Kamara, they're going nowhere this week. Um, and I think Houston, it's a, another good test for Stroud. Obviously, a tougher week against Atlanta when they were impressed. I think New Orleans will probably go that way as well. Uh, Dennis Allen has done good job in the defense, certainly, as head coach there. Um, so I think another good challenge there, but if he comes out looking good, avoiding interceptions, uh, being a net positive, then uh, continues to be uh, something for Houston fans to be excited for as they go forward this year. 
Yeah. Next up, we've got Carolina at Miami, Sean. Uh, in a sad, shaggy voice, oh, Carolina. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to be much of probably the, possibly the worst team in the league, or certainly they're they're in that conversation. A team that has recently been called the best offense that has ever existed, and I think is right now yardage wise, it's certainly at least the best offense of all time. They passed out the the greatest show on turf for the first five weeks, so they're they're looking quite good. Um, yeah, the Dolphins offensively, I think they're just going to run over this team. Um, I, I don't see an awful lot that the Panthers can be able to do to stop it, and certainly. The one weakness the Dolphins have, as we talked about, it, is their defense and their, and particularly their secondary. And I just don't see Bryce Young being in that place yet to do that kind of stuff. So I just yeah, I just can't see a route to victory for the Panthers to beat a team this talented. Yeah. Uh, next up, and we've gone for Miami across the board in that one. Next one, Indianapolis at Jacksonville. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Indy. Ronan's gone for Jacksonville. Obviously, the Garden Minshew coming back, revenge game time. Uh, but the question is kind of what this Indianapolis offense is going to look like with changing personnel. Richard's not there. But Jonathan Taylor, back a week extra in the system to kind of get himself up and running. He's paid now. What's he going to look like? Will that be exciting? Jacksonville, obviously, coming off a good win over the Bills, but they did opt to not have a bye week following their trip over to London, so will they be kind of firing at all cylinders whenever they get out there as well? Uh, the other one was that, like we said, a degree of their performance last week did feel like the, the Bills just weren't ready for them, so is that a true indicator of where they are? I think this will make for an interesting matchup because Indianapolis have a decent defense, and they will now have a, 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 a decent but maybe not as potential ceiling on their offense so uh, I think it'll be a good test for, for, for both teams and obviously hugely important in that division race Yeah I don't think you can trust either team on a week to week basis fully uh, but I think you see a lot more positives out of the Colts than you might have expected before the season and Jacksonville as, as Sean said have not quite taken that next step that people were hoping for where they kind of joined the elite table at the ASC so I think the one big strength of the Jacksonville uh, defense is that they do have a, a pretty fearsome defensive line a lot of big guys in there to stop the run so you'd imagine that they will uh, be focused in on stopping uh, Jonathan Taylor or, or Zach Moss or whoever happens to be running the ball there and saying beat us um, Minshew and you know we have seen like Josh Downs finally had a, a breakout game for the Colts last uh, week in, in the, as, as a receiver Pittman is a decent receiver they have some tight end options so you know they're not completely without weapons there but they don't really have that kind of haven't shown the big game element uh, consistently and I don't think Minshew kind of has that kind of game planning he's got a lot of like he's a bright like it's not conservative but he just doesn't have the arm to kind of do those kind of like you know small window throws but he's very solid at the things he's he's good at um so i think for me jacksonville i still think they're just a little bit better uh, and they will be at home and they obviously have got the confidence of their london tour getting those two wins and and getting back uh, you know joint top of the the division um but it's very very close both these teams are, have you know very strong strong circuits they both can be very good when they want to be but i just don't see the kind of indianapolis run up down your throat beat tennessee game plan working quite well against jacksonville because when you have lawrence and you have ridley and you have that pass game i think jacksonville just have that greater explosive upside so i'm willing to shade it for them here yeah i just i just worry a little bit about the travel i think they're going to be facing jet lag and as i said i just don't think they're quite clicking the way they should whereas Indy, I think, have a little bit of, maybe it's a momentum thing. They kind of feel like they're they're in a good place, even, albeit without the Richardson industry in, injury kind of hampering that a tiny bit. Obviously, I think the Minshew factor is a bit of a question mark over how well this offense will work around. But they will possibly have Jonathan Taylor back. So I think, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I, yeah, I, 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 mm. 
I, I do think that the, the, the travel is going to be a big deal because if we saw what happens to the Bills just traveling over, the Jags are going to have basically acclimatized. Two weeks in a place acclimatizes you to, to that time zone. So they're going to take twice as long to recover from it. So I just I worry about that aspect of it for the Jags, and I think not taking a bye week was a really big mistake. Plus, I mean, when you think about it from week one, Indy almost won week one, even though they were just kind of clicking and trying to figure out who they were. Like this, this Indy defense does seem to be able to stifle the Jags a little bit. And there's obviously that all divisional, you know, everybody knows each other very well kind of thing. So I just, I think the Colts might have a tiny bit of a voodoo on the Jags as well. Yeah. Uh, next up, Washington at Atlanta. I've gone for Atlanta. You guys have gone for Washington. Uh, big question this one is, what impact is the Washington defensive line going to make? Can they hassle Ritter enough to get him off center? Will they shut down Robinson and so on? Um, and then what is this Washington offense going to look like? It's been very Jekyll and Hyde in recent weeks. So we've had great weeks and we've had terrible weeks. They were not very good last week. And like that was against a Chicago defense that I would quite happily expect to be less good than the uh, than the Atlanta one is from what we've seen. But uh, yeah, just it, it's it's just, this will be a scrappy game. Uh, it could end up being quite entertaining because it could allow a lot of explosive plays, a lot of big defensive plays. But I'm just going to side slightly on the more consistent Atlanta offense. I think that uh, I've seen at the moment, but Washington could absolutely steal this one. So I've gone Atlanta. You guys have gone Washington. Next up is Seattle at Cincinnati. Uh, is Burrow back? <laughs> That's the real one. Like the Seattle team has been better than we were expecting. They've got a good defense getting away there. Can they cause issues for uh, Cincinnati offense? It got a bit back on track last week, but is probably still down its wide receiver too, and so on. Uh, and the, obviously, I'll let Fitz kind of talk a bit more on the Seattle side of kind of what that offense is going to look like, because this has been a fairly tasty Cincinnati defense so far. Yeah, so I think the big question for Cincinnati is, okay, they, they showed they can do a thing, which is to give it to Jamar Chase, and that worked uh, last week, and it's kind of helped them get, like steady the ship. But, you know, is that just like Jamar Chase is just too good to cover? Potentially. Uh, but I imagine that uh, teams like Seattle or going forward, other teams are going to, someone's going to go, okay, we're just going to, you know, sell out to stop Jamar Chase. Can Joe Burrow find Tyler Boyd? Uh, can he find uh, Trent Werman? Can he? Can they run the ball with Joe Mixon and get and and get consistent offense that way? Um, and you know, our, like Seattle, they have two good, albeit very young, uh, cornerbacks. Uh, obviously, including the rookie uh, Witherspoon, and so they have guys who will be up for the fight. Definitely, they'll they'll definitely be uh, aggressive and happy to get in their face if they want to. And you know, it just depends how much they're willing to kind of shade out to to, to kind of stop Chase uh, specifically. Uh, and for Seattle, I think the bye came at a good time. They had a lot of injuries along their offensive line. They had some injuries in their defense. They're hoping to get a bunch of guys back. They're hoping to get like Jamal Adams back. They're hoping to get some of their offensive line guys back, uh, like Charles Cross. So, you know, I think if they can have their offensive line just be back to being healthy and they could show they could already run the ball even with their backups, um, then if they can protect uh, Geno Spit, albeit against a tough Cincinnati uh, defensive line, then you might start seeing those explosives from uh, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf come back in to complement what, you know, is the, the very well Welcome, uh, bringing back of the run game uh, in the first few weeks of the season. Um, so I'm going to shade it to Seattle, uh, I suppose, a little bit. I'm not quite sure I'm fully in on Burrow being back and Cincinnati being back just because it's such a, you know, unimodal um, type of offense. But, you know, it, it might just be that they're like Burrow and Chase just have that special connection that they can just do that and get away with it. But, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting, fun game uh, and certainly one that will tell us a lot more about where these two teams are going forward. Yeah, if you, if you base it on, I guess, the form of the season to date, uh, probably the Seahawks probably have to be considered the favorites because they have shown a little bit more, whereas the Bengals 
aren't quite there yet. But I mean, it, I kind of it, it's a, it's a it's a pick from hope. I kind of I want to I want to support the Bengals as a as an enterprise going forward. I, I think they obviously at their very best they're amazing to watch. Yeah, I so yeah, I, I think I want to see that the Bengals do well, uh, and I think this could be an interesting game for getting them that next step forward because this is the the challenge I guess for the Bengals this season compared to last season is whether they can beat these kind of pretty good but not spectacular teams and I think the Seahawks are in that category of they they look spicy but they are beatable last year the Bengals were beating these kinds of teams this year they don't seem to be and it, it's one thing to beat the Cardinals it's a whole other thing to kind of take that step up so I, I want to see if the I think yeah. it's an interesting test for the Bengals to see if they do get that step up but uh I think rationally, maybe the Seahawks maybe are slight favorites, but my heart says the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Minnesota at Chicago. Roland, uh, me and you have gone for Chicago, and Sean is ride or die with Kirk Cousins <laughs> and no Justin Jefferson. Well, like, look, like, <laughs> it's not like Chicago. I've just completely been... flipped. I'm just like pro Vikings all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, look, Chicago, they do have weaknesses. Like, their defense is still not great uh like they, they held up in the first half last week and then they collapsed again and nearly gave another comeback it would look kind of maybe come back with on there so and minnesota like look obviously justin jefferson was a huge part of the offense but they do have other young receivers they have tj hawkinson the run game has been a little bit better uh in the last couple of weeks so there's something there maybe but i think i'm just gonna go Look, Chicago, they're fun again, so I'm just going like, to give them the win here and maybe they can sneak into being half relevant or something like that and they don't have to just think about next year when they have the top two overall picks and stuff like that. But like Minnesota, yeah, w- without Jefferson, they're definitely a step down in terms of my interest in them and their defense, while uh, it's kind of interesting under Flores, it's just the complete lack of talent is very evident, so I don't even think they're, the defense is going to be that much of an advantage for them. So could be a lot of points here uh, if both these teams uh, go full at it and that at least be entertaining at least. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have my pick of the week, San Francisco with Cleveland. We've gone for San Francisco across the board. Look, it uh, should be fun to watch San Francisco kind of kick some ass again. Uh, th- this is a good Cleveland defense. Garrett's playing out of his mind, so it'll be interesting. I was going back through it, and it's like, they haven't really had to play fantastic defenses outside of like what we thought was going to be a strong one in, Cle- in, in, in the Cowboys and really just didn't show up, so I'm intrigued to see that. Um there is a risk that Deshaun Watson is not going to play in this game. So he's currently day-to-day with the injury that made him a surprise scratch uh, the previous week. So we'll see if he gets in there. Uh, I have been reading up on uh, Dre Greenlaw and his relationship with uh, Deshaun Watson, we will say. Let's just say that there's a very strong chance that he will go out of his way to absolutely murder him. Um, so that'll be that'll be pretty fun. If you want, if you want to know the full details to avoid a lawsuit, just Google it. Uh, just Google it. You'll 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 figure it out pretty soon. But yeah, um, I think this will be the best defensive test that this 49ers team has faced so far. So I think that'll be entertaining to see. And I just think you know sometimes you don't want a big super competitive game. Sometimes you just want to watch a good team play good football. So. <laughs> That's why I'm watching the San Francisco part of this. Uh, onto the late slate. Arizona taking on the Rams. We've gone for Rams across the board. Uh, both kind of doing better than we thought they were going to be doing in the seasons. We said maybe the Rams are a little bit further along on that as well. But like like I said, there's not there's not a ton of quality on this Rams defense. So maybe Dobbs can get something going here. Um, Arizona's defense has looked pretty good. Although this will almost certainly be like the most competitive bunch of receivers they've had to try and trap. So like, will they be able to, will they be able to shut them down long enough? Will they be able to get pressure on Stafford to try and 
stop that from happening. Uh, like we've all gone for the Rams, and I think that's what's shading it for me is that I'm not sure the defense of Arizona can keep up with the speed and quality of the wide receiver depth that sits on this Rams team. Um, but you know, it, it should be it should be an exciting enough game. Yeah, my bigger concern would probably be like uh, James Conner has been such a central part of the Arizona offense. They're not going to bring in like Tony Jones or Epicanado or, or the random running backs in there. And I think it's a team where if they don't have an effective run game, you might see a pretty big regression. Like Dobbs has overperformed what you would expect from someone who's literally just thrown in uh, like a week before the season, uh, albeit someone who had previous experience with the OC. But even given that, it would be a little bit of a concern there. So you're going to rely more on the passing game, which has been more involved with like Marquise Brown and, and Michael Wilson. I'll be Wilson didn't do much for most of last week. Um, but it's not what I would love to be relying on as an Arizona fan on the offense. And the defense uh, has way overperformed uh, under Gannon. Um, but I think, yeah, as you, as you say here, now that the, the, the Rams have the boat, you have to cover both Cup and Nakua, uh, who both look to seem just have a, a kind of almost a, you know, a, some kind of like weird behavior like they uh, apparently they do dinner together uh them and stafford uh, apparently they don't use phones uh, so they have a particularly special relationship with stafford um that's just going to be really hard to stuff like we know cup at his best is nearly impossible to stop with his option rights and stuff like that and if he's one week healthier you'd imagine he'd be one week better and yeah i think that's why i'm shading the rams here but given how much these things have overperformed and how i suppose our priors are way off it, it should be an interesting game yeah i if, i guess again it comes down to trust a little bit i mean i'm not I mean, the Cardinals are, are better than we thought they would be, and certainly Dobbs has got a little bit interesting. But, yeah, I, I do wonder, I mean, without Connor, how much this offense gets clicking. Whereas the Rams, I do feel that they they are a bit more a complete team at this stage. They do kind of feel to be that taking the step onwards. We kind of know where they are, and it's not – I mean, it's, it's up there. They're certainly, I think, you know, above average, whereas I think the Cardinals, even, even at their best, they're probably still an average team um, or maybe a bit below average. Yeah. Uh, next up, Sean, we've got New England taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I've gone for New England. You guys have gone for Vegas. Yeah, the, the Josh McDonald's Jimmy G revenge game, I think. Although no one, yeah. It's it's like weird. It's going to be watching that Spider-Man meme with them yeah, pointing, at pointing at one another. At yeah, but they're in a toilet instead. Yeah, they're in a toilet, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one it's a one bad version and the one slightly better version of the same thing. It's more um, like a real spider where it's like one's going to flush down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I just... In terms of this game, I've just given up on the Pats. The last two weeks have just been too much for me. The The offense is in tatters. Mac Jones seems to have lost all of his confidence and all of his decision-making capabilities at one go. The defense, which was the strength, has now completely collapsed because of the injuries to Judon and Gonzalez. The special teams, which has always been Belichick's secret m- magic thing, now is absolutely shit as well. Um, there's nothing... As I can speak, as authority as a Pats fan, there's absolutely nothing about this team to get be positive or optimistic about anymore. Compared to the, the Raiders, who are very meh, but at this point, meh is a significant upgrade uh, on the Pats. I mean, they have Jimmy G, and Jimmy G is capable of bringing a team down the field to score points. And they've got a wide receiver. They've got Adams as a wide receiver who's capable of catching balls. And they've got they've got skilled position players. They've got Josh Jacobs. They've, they've got players who can do things. Um, Myers. <laughs> Myers. Maybe that's the revenge game, the Jacoby Myers revenge game rather than the, the Jimmy G. But uh, yeah, I just... At this, if you want to talk about teams you trust, I just don't trust the Pats to do anything in this game. I think they'll do better than they have the last few weeks because... 
at least Belichick probably knows how to get around McDaniel's in in terms of the chess match. That's my aspect that's, of, that's of most this, of my this. thinking for the pick is that like you England are probably not going to go effectively winless. Uh, like Belichick knows both McDaniel's and the system because it's basically his system, and he knows Jimmy G. Like he knows everything that they're going to do. So if there's a if there's a game that he can scheme up a defense for, it has to be this one. But they just don't have the players even anymore to scheme up a defense for it's like it's... hey you got jc jackson now <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of jc jackson yeah, yeah. having been practiced because uh, he's been playing las vegas raiders twice a year for the last it's week true it's last true year. it's true uh yeah ultimately yeah i just i do trust the raiders a little bit to score points i don't trust the Pats to score points mm. so that's why i gotta pick them yeah it's a bit of a toilet bowl all right uh ronan your pick of the week detroit to tampa bay we've gone for detroit across the board we don't believe in baker Mm. not enough to beat Detroit uh, it's, an int- it's another interesting test for Detroit I think it's been an interesting season so far they've gone through a fair amount of adversity with the injuries and, and other stuff here they'll obviously hope to have Amon Ross St. Brown back they'll obviously hope to have Jameer Gibbs back they'll obviously be hoping to ramp up Jamison Williams over time back into a starter type role uh, but they seem to be surviving without them like David Montgomery has been reborn as uh, one of the best running backs in the league kind of taking over that Jamal Williams role um, Sam Laporta has been a, a good rookie tight end this is pretty much unprecedented uh, imagine what Kyle Pitts would be doing in this offense uh, one might say but um, yeah it's just like they're, they're, they're getting through they're not playing the toughest teams in the league and obviously their one loss was against Seattle uh, kind of one team that's a kind of a maybe a step above this kind of uh, these people um, and I think Tampa Bay therefore are an interesting test for them Tampa Bay obviously way outperforming our expectations uh, pre-season Baker Mayfield is playing good football Um He's finding Mike Evans, who's hopefully back for this game. Chris Godwin's been a factor. And the main thing is he's been avoiding the, those critical mistakes. Um, I would still say he's probably treating his own body with too much disregard. And I kind of feel that's going to come back and haunt them at some point. But while he still is holding up in terms of his body, I think he'll continue to be kind of the Baker Mayfield that we were all enjoyed watching when he was on the Browns, right? Not the one who was kind of injured and kind of yeah, passed yeah. himself uh, for a long time. So I think that gives him a factor. And with two wide receivers who can make explosive plays, that gives them a chance now their offensive line is not that good and that means that you would imagine Hutchinson and the gang um, will be all up in there trying to get bigger Mayfield on his spot and start getting those interceptions that he is uh, not somewhat prone to um, in previous uh, years um, but uh, it'll be a good test for them I think the Tampa Bay moved a little bit a step below maybe the Seahawks tier but they're in that kind of playoff wild card type tier and I think Detroit if they can continue to win games like this week on week, despite all of the adversity and the injuries and stuff they're going through, that's a really good sign for what they can be by the end of the year where hopefully all, all, all cylinders are going. Um, so I expect Jared Goff will be passing the ball well um, because this is a this is a Tampa Bay front, which is good at stopping the run. So Goff, get it to Porter, get it to Amon Ra, get that job done and hopefully get it done. But I think this game could be much closer than, than the, us all picking Detroit employees. Yeah, like Tampa Bay have definitely been better as well than we were expecting and with Evans back there are weapons there that could be good this Detroit team is good their defense has been better but it has had slip-ups and yeah like you could you could definitely see a spot where Tampa Bay come out firing very well but like it feels overall that Detroit are just a little bit stronger all around as a team and we like them yeah. so we're just going to pick them if we can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 no that's my pick is just that I think there's a a talent ability level thing differentiation here Detroit are in a very good place with with good players and a good scheme I don't think the books are quite there yet although they are building something that's a lot more interesting than we thought that they would be yeah next up Philly at the New York Jets we've gone for Philly across the board here obviously look Zach Wilson looked better 
two weeks ago. He looked all right last week, uh, but this is a very, very, very tough Philadelphia defensive line with, you know, they've they've got some of the top performing players who are only playing 50% of the snaps because they don't need to because they've got the kind of depth to allow that to happen. So the question is, is this going to be a crash back down to earth for Zach Wilson? Um, the big question, I suppose, is the Philly offense has started to look a little bit more comfortable. It definitely looked a bit more comfortable last week, but this Jets defense is incredibly good, uh, and if, if anyone's going to be able to put it to them, it's the personnel on this Jets defense. Uh, so you could see struggles coming from that. I think I think the interesting thing will just be, can the Jets offense get going? Because I think their defense can probably keep the score down for a bit, but only if they can get off the field from time to time, only if they can get bre- like get, get some rest in, and that's only going to happen if, if we see Zach Wilson like string together some drives. They got the running game going last week. This is not necessarily a Philly defense that you're going to find a ton of success in the run game if they get themselves going on all cylinders. So that could be a problem for them. So if you take away the run game, I'm not sure Wilson is fully there because like his big plays last week mostly came off play action stuff. So this might be a bad matchup for the Jets offense. Not that there's many good matchups for the Jets offense at the moment. Yeah, like look, look, like the Jets will probably lose this game, but I think you know a few weeks ago, it kind of seemed like the Jets were about to go into the cardiac arrest, and, and it seems like they've they've come back from the brink, and there's at least some life here. But going up against one of the best teams in the NFL, and certainly in the NFC, is going to be a bigger challenge here. Uh, but they are at home. Uh, Zach Wilson seems to have got you know the worst out of it, and I think the just the thing you want to avoid here is a blowout, uh, and a blowout where Zach Wilson makes a bunch. Of, even if it's like you just run the ball, Brees Hall, lot, and you lose by like. 10 points um that's better than Zach Wilson getting absolutely annihilated by this Philly defensive line which is yeah as you say kind of a, a force of nature with how much depth they have um but I think for both these teams it's as much about you know continuing to see Philly prove that they deserve to be the, the at the San Francisco level basically who who are have been much hotter in the first part of the season as the elite in the NFC and for the Jets just that they're gonna build week on week and progress and i don't know if it's gonna be enough to make a, like a wild card run or not uh but just progress into the sense that you know this team isn't gonna turn into a like a backbiting and fighting and bullshit uh by the end of the season uh when they collapse and given where they were a couple of weeks ago i'll probably take that as a jets fan right now yeah it's i mean obviously the really interesting thing here is the philly offense against the jets defense i think just as watching as a spectacle can be really fascinating to watch the problem for the jets is they're just not going to score enough points that there's nothing that tells me that this Jets defense have evolved to the level which they can get enough points off this Philly defense that they can that then they can rely on their defense to to do the rest of the job. There's just there's like there's three of the four units. There's three really good ones and one that's just not quite up to standard. I think that's going to be the, that's going to be the big difference in this game. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Sunday night football, the Giants traveling up to Buffalo uh, for a summary execution, Sean. Yeah, it's it's a get right game for the Bills. It's it's you know we we had our London experience uh, and now we're back on home turf in the probably swirling wind and rain uh, of Orchard Park and uh, that is gonna that, take that, a- that is the fact that it was not fully considered. It was like twenty seven degrees <laughs> in London when we were there. It was roasting. Uh, definitely out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I think I think the Bills are. Uh, despite the, the setbacks they've had at, at various points of the season, are a good enough unit. They, they're very good at just destroying bad teams. They're very good at beating up teams. And I think this is a situation where they're going to beat up a team because the Giants are just not good at all. Saquon's back, coming back maybe gives the Jets a bit, Giants a bit of a hold. The, the Buffalo Bills 
obviously have some defensive injury issues, so maybe there's a sliver of hope there, but I just can't see it. I just can't see the Giants being able to stifle the Bills' offense enough and get anything going uh, offensively themselves to, to be competitive here. I think the Bills are going to win by a big margin. Yeah, and finally, Monday Night Football, your pick of the week, Sean. Uh, for some reason, Dallas versus Chargers. You want to you, you see kind of the perennial like bridesmaids? I think it's an interesting game to, to kind of tell us where these teams are at. I mean, these are talented but flawed units who have various times this season have looked like they could be good, but have you know also at times when they haven't looked all that good. The Cabos have been a little bit better, they've looked, than the Chargers. The Chargers maybe have taken a step back. But the Chargers are off a bye week, and just before the bye week, it looked like their defense was maybe, Bannis Daly was finally figuring out how to assemble a defense. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see, because obviously the Dallas Cowboys, their, their, their defense has been their strength this season, uh, up until the San Francisco game. It's been the thing that's kind of driven them through games. The offense really hasn't done anything spectacular at all. It's been, at best, it's been solid, consistent. It's been... It's been, you know, we will not make mistakes and we will score just enough points to win and there and rely on our uh, a defense to do the rest. So this is going to be a, a test for both for that side. I think it's going to be really interesting. Is can this flawed Cowboys offense? How are they going to do against this flawed? Uh, uh, Chargers defense does the Chargers run defense will it fall away and collapse in the under the might of of Tony Pollard so I think that's kind of interesting and on the other side obviously I think the Chargers when it all clicks uh, and, and it is to a certain extent it's the Callan Moore revenge game it's Callan Moore coming back and he's going to show yeah. this is how you run an offense this is how you do things and that's going to be a very interesting chess match Callan Moore against Dan Quinn uh, on that side of the ball obviously with Herbert you know being looking good in streaks, Eckler being back, I think that's going to be a very dynamic side of it. So it's both sides of the ball are interesting in different ways, and it's very hard to tell who come out on top. But I think the Cowboys are just a slightly better team than the Chargers, and ultimately that'll be enough to see them through. Yeah, like I, I, I can see that. I do think they probably are a little bit better, but I think Chargers at home coming off the bye week, as you said, the kind of the coaching stuff inside Dallas, the, the loss, the loss that they just had there will either like you know uh energize them or it might mentally break them is the is the concern oh yeah i mean it's the dallas it's the cowboys they're fragile so you could see the, the cowboys meltdown which means we'll get to see sad troy aikman um mm. slowly slowly <laughs> melting down in the commentary booth so That's no matter fun. what happens it's win-win you know it's true it's true you've uh, you've locked <laughs> well, it in yeah i yeah I, no need to be so negative, Connor. It's a, it, this is like dumb uh, summer blockbuster type game. Uh, just like two teams who are perfectly capable of doing incredibly dumb things this season. Uh, obviously, are, you, are, you, are you telling me the Chargers are a team of minors that have been taught how to run a football team? <laughs> no, they're, they're a team of oil rig experts who are going to the meteorite. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Uh, yeah, a, but, a, a team of oil miners go to the Super Bowl. There we go. Yeah. Um, but like, look, like Dallas... I'm going to trust Dallas a little bit more here because I think, you know, when they've been solid, at least they've been they've been solid enough, whereas the Chargers just feel like, you know, their ability to hit themselves in the face is, is without is without equal. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, this is pretty much a coin flip again because you know, these teams have incredibly high strengths. Both their offenses have capability of putting up a whole lot of points and both of their defenses, uh, particularly the Chargers' defense, is capable of giving up that kind of points. And, yeah, Dallas's defense, which is so well-vaunted, you know, there's been some games where some things have gone pretty badly, and obviously, if there anyone would know how to exploit this defense, you would imagine be the former OC Kellen Moore. Yeah, it feels like this game deserves to be a draw. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. We haven't had a tie yet. It's it's we're well overdue. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, we've, we've, we've had a surprising number of overtime games, but none of them actually ended in ties. So, yeah. Um, fair enough. So that'll wrap us up for this week. Uh, any plans for the weekend yourselves, lads? Uh, just a small matter of the most important rugby match in the history of Irish rugby. Uh, quarterfinal against the All Blacks, <laughs> uh, where we're definitely not overhyped and overexcited about them finally winning a knockout game. Um, apart from that, I think that's going to be the main rugby. I think there's a lot of rugby on to watch this weekend. I think it's the main thing yeah. I'm going to be doing anyway. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to be heading down to Kerry for uh, brother-in-law's 30th birthday and uh, obviously watching rugby as well. Yeah, rugby and uh, yeah, uh, should be otherwise uh, pretty quiet. Yeah, no, gotta 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 recharge the batteries post London. <laughs> yeah, very good. That'll wrap us up for now. So I suppose it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week.